the Empress. When this card appears, it is time to create. Your environment offers you the abundance you need to feel nurtured and comfortable so that you can manifest your vision in the world. Inspiration is all around you. Be sure to nourish yourself with whole foods. Indulge all of your senses. Connect with nature by working in a garden or deeply inhaling the scent of trees and flowers. Connecting with creative, empowered people will enhance your creative spirit. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, we just heard in your rant last week, Anna, that you were uh, sniffing up. What were the plants that you were sniffing the tree? Oh, freesias. Freesias. Freesias and jasmine are healing my heart. You can't get a more appropriate card. I know, it's so funny. And we're going to have that rant up on the YouTube playlist so people can see that you said that in the past and then you picked this card today and that's just ridiculous that that's... Uh... It's, it's perfect. It is. Welcome to Fuck You Tarot Lady episode 31. My guest today is Anna Gogo. Anna, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, Mel and I were just both saying that we've had a bit of a flat day today. It's like a weird, you know when like Mondays don't matter anymore because it's not really Monday, but it is, and it's just like, ugh. Yeah. So this is a lovely way to kind of kickstart the week and, and get used to, I don't know, doing something of value, you know? Yeah. I've spent the whole day staring into the abyss, so it was nice to have something to look forward to. Like, is that, were you rostered on to like look into the abyss or like, is that your code for working or? No, no. Usually that's my code for what I do on my day off. I stare at a wall, wander around, wonder what's the point of him being alive. And then, you know, if you can't, that's what you've got to do that on your day off because you can't do it when you're working. No, there's no time for existential crises while you're in the middle of work. Um, that's right so what we'll do Anna, we'll jump straight into a, a lightning round opener people can get a bit of a feel for some of your origins and we'll get cracking on that so when you were a, a young lass and you were in the house what music was playing when there was no control over it for you who was playing what what do you remember oh look my mum has horrendous taste in music so it was like nana muscuri Joan Baez, like, oh, stuff, all the triple bells are ringing, like that kind of horrible music that makes you want to kill yourself. Um, Dad had eclectic taste, but he was Italian, so he liked a lot of Italian artists and Pavarotti and stuff, which was good. Uh, but I had an older brother and sister, so my sister was um, very into, like, full-on 80s, you know, Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran and, you know, Aussie bands like Y1E and all that stuff. And um, my brother was into like more rock and roll later. He was, when I was about nine or whatever, he was a hardcore punk. So we listened to a lot of like the exploited and the abrasive wheels. And he was friends with the singer of the Bastard Squad. So we listened to a lot of them. And um, yeah, but if I had a choice, my choices were different. But it was, yeah, a mix of like ACDC or punk or metal or fully glitz glam 80s or mum's horrendous choices <laughs> that's awesome um do you have any tattoos do you have a worse tattoo yeah yep <laughs> i do have a few um my worst one in that you, no one can judge me because at the time at the time you couldn't even really go to the tattoo parlor nobody had tattoos because I'm old, right? And so when I got my first tattoo, everyone was like, oh, she joined a biker gang? Like, you know, because no one had tats. 
So I went with my brother. I was 16 and I was like, I need a tattoo because he'd had heaps of tattoos already and, um, you know, skulls and scary stuff. But I, I was like, I want a tat. I'm getting a tat. I'm a rebel. I'm a punk. I'm going to tat. I got this horrible 90s shoulder tat of a rose. <laughs> oh, and I've had to have it fixed like three times since. What do you mean? It's been fixed? gone over so many times. Oh, like, but, get, you know, at the time it, it was outrageous. Like, yeah, it gets better, I suppose. <laughs> it does, but I've had a lot added to it and around it and nearby it and stuff. So, But, it, I mean, when it was just a 90s shoulder tat of a rose, I mean, thank God I didn't get a 90s tramp stamp. But, you know, ass antlers. Because um, a friend of mine is friends with a chick who got a lower back tattoo early, early days, and jeans were much higher then like before hipster jeans were invented. So her lower back tattoo is like halfway up her back, like in the middle. Because <laughs> it's like 10 years before hipster jeans came in. So um, thank God I never went that way. So you're telling but, me there was a period of time, Anna, where tramp stamps were much higher on the back and they've gotten lower as jeans have gotten shorter. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Because Mel can confirm this. Jean fashion's changed. Like the jeans have gotten a lot lower, especially in the 2000s. Jeans got real, real low. And, um, you know, but it was high-waisted jeans, like, <laughs> at those days. So thank God I never got that. I just got a 90 shoulder tap. But I got it from this guy who was a biker, friend of my brother's who was in the bikey gang, the Coffin Cheaters. <laughs> the Coffin and, um, Cheaters? Yeah, yeah, they were a bikey gang called the Coffin Cheaters and he was a bikey, scary guy, lovely, lovely, like all those really scary guys, the sweetheart on the inside. But, oh, uh, yeah, we went to his um, tattoo shop out in the western boondocks somewhere and he had this massive pet snake. <laughs> so afterwards we pulled bongs and, like, I tried not to, think about the snakes strangling me to death. It how, was pretty, it was what a day. Was it a big snake? Like how big of a snake? It's are a you huge, like a boa constrictor type illegal snake that you're not allowed to have, that kind of snake. But I was 16, I'm like, all right, I'm getting a tattoo, yeah, because I'm cool. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and that was quite a day. But that tat, oh, it's not so embarrassing now because I've had it fixed a number of times but yeah the worst was my belly button piercing that I got around the same time that was the worst what happened there Anna what happened to your piercing why was it awful well same thing because I'm you know I'm a trailblazer and you know I was an early adopter of these things there were no piercing salons then but it was the 90s and I wanted a, a belly button piercing before anyone else got one and so we got this like hairdresser did like a backyard job um, just with a huge needle. And, yeah, it just got horribly infected. And in the end, my body expelled it. Like my body was just like, just shot it right out. <laughs> Did you ever go back? Did you ever try and, like, you know, I don't know, put some antiseptic on it and, like, keep it going? Or once it expelled it, that was oh, it? Oh, I, I tried to keep it. I really did. I tried to keep it. Because crop tops was the fashion. So, you know. But then when everybody else started getting them, like a year later, I think the first like piercing salon opened in the city in Melbourne. So um, then everyone, every Tom, Dick and Fanny was getting their eyebrow pierced and their belly buttons pierced. I was like, oh, cool, I don't want it anyway now. 
Yeah, once you start hitting mid to late 90s, you're going to get peak piercing times. You know, you're going to get like the double eyebrow. You're going to get like the... I had the hots for this guy with the double eyebrow. He had really long hair like Nuno Betancourt and the double eyebrow piercing. Oh, still dream of him. You're just getting Mal all excited here in the corner, you know. How hot is that? It's still hot. Nuno and the Oh, oh, good. That Nuno, he's still hot, you know. Still so hot. Yeah. Yeah. I love how we have we've gotten through two questions. This is this is might be one of the longest oh, episodes ever. <laughs> I can still try to keep my answers more brief. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. It's totally fine. Um, what was the first CD you purchased with your own money? It wasn't a CD. God bless. <laughs> CDs weren't invented then. What was the? Was it a single? Was it an LP? What was it? What'd you get? It was, with my own money, it was an LP and it was, of course, Michael Jackson Bad album, which was the first concert I ever went to when I was in grade six. Whoa. And wh- my first concert in grade six, I was 12. No, 11. I was 11 and because uh, I started school young and my sister slept out for tickets because you had to line up for tickets in those days. And um. Yeah, she slipped out for tickets and my first concert was a Michael Jackson Bad concert. So as soon as I had some pocket money, I had to buy the album. What was it like seeing Michael Jackson at that age at that time? Like where did he play? Was it like in an arena somewhere in Melbourne? Like Yeah, it was at Olympic Park. Actually, if you YouTube it, if you type Michael Jackson Melbourne Bad Tour or something, there's this really hilarious clip from like Recovery or one of those – like – countdown or one of those shows where they go and interview people and you can see the footage of the everyone arriving it was mind-blowing and set the standard for my expectations of concerts for the rest of my life so you can imagine how disappointed I've been over the years (laughs) I mean it was uh, I uh, my poor sister she wags school she was working in the um oh god I'm telling too long a story is this a fast question it doesn't matter. Anyway, my sister slipped out for tickets. She faked that she was sick from work because she used to work for Max Factor at Maya <laughs> in the city. Yeah. And she pretended she was sick. She was queuing up for tickets for me, for Michael Jackson, and then got interviewed on the TV news. So they were like, how? So she totally got busted about wagging work and um, took me along. And I was tiny then. Like I was very late bloomer and I was tiny, tiny little thing like about three foot tall, and we got to the stadium and I was just already having a heart attack from excitement. And then um, a Michael Jackson impersonator came out on the roof of Olympic Park and the crowd thought it was Michael Jackson and there was this huge crush and I nearly died. And then, yeah, I screamed so much at the concert um, that I couldn't talk for five days afterwards. <laughs> and and what- I speak. Everyone at school was like, how's Michael Jackson? I was like, ah, bah, bah. I couldn't, I couldn't speak. I screamed myself hoarse. What can you remember about that Michael Jackson gig? Because obviously you said it set the standard for gigs from then on. Like, do you rem- do you still remember pieces of it, or is it now just kind of like a lovely? I remember the entire gig, like a movie in my mind. Really? Every moment. Yeah. <laughs> the crowd went bananas. They turned off all the lights, and the stage went pitch black dark. Then there was this massive explosion, and Michael Jackson flew up out of the stage in like pyromaniacs and smoke and blah, blah, blah. 
and it was just astonishing. And it was the era when they had that guitarist with the opti- optic fiber hair wig. <laughs> yeah, and all the buckles and the everything. And I can remember it like the, it, oh my God, it was the most mind blowing thing ever. But uh-huh. I've seen a lot of mind blowing gigs. You've seen, oh, okay. So before we jump ahead, I just wanted to mention that there is a beautiful Sorry. Michael Jackson painting behind you as we're talking. Yes, <laughs> Michael and Prince, my guardian angels. They're, my friend Mary painted these for me. Yeah. She's a legend. And they're known, anyone who knows your rants or has uh, been a part of the GoGo Academy online has obviously seen those paintings. They're iconic now, along with your yeah. lovely red furniture. With my Rococo lounge. <laughs> We've got a couple more lightning round questions, and then we'll get into the GoGo Academy. Uh, what's your favourite music video? Do you have one that, that stands out? Is it an MJ one? I can't choose. I've spent before we get to my GoGo Academy. I spent my whole life obsessed with music videos since I was a child, and now I teach Mel can attest. I teach the dancers from music videos for a living. So you know, I, you'd have to give me best of this category or that category. I, I couldn't possibly choose. All right, give me like um. Maybe like a favourite one from when you were a kid, a favourite one from when you were a teenager, and then maybe a favourite contemporary one. All right. So when I was a kid, definitely Michael Jackson's Bad Video, directed by Martin Scorsese. The Jericho hair, the buckles, the West Side Story, like gang dancing, the um, Wesley Snipes' first proper acting gig. Oh, really? Like, yeah, that video is, you know, iconic. Um but I was really obsessed also with Wawani as a kid. Like um, Sugar Free really imprinted itself on my mind. And then as a teenager, early teens, I was more into like hair metal. Um, so, you know, there's some of those are real epic. And I'd say the ones, like it's not a great video, but just seeing the opening shots of it just fills my heart with joy. Gunners, Paradise City. You know, that just killed me. And then later teens, um, definitely back to MJ and Prince. You know, I really like um, the My Name is Prince video where he's got the chain link hat and the (laughs) gun microphone and Kirstie Alley. And I don't know, that was just, I don't know, made my heart think. I can't choose. You can't make me choose. I love all music videos. I love them all. (laughs) So do I. I love them all. It's why I'm guilty for the ones I'm not mentioning. Oh, that's okay. I'm sh- they can come up later in the show if you want to just bring them up randomly and we'll add them to our little playlist and people can just see all these fun things that Anna's talking about. Um, let's jump into the GoGo Academy because I guess my uh, introduction to you was quite strange in that it was just you ranting, not knowing that it was kind of like the dance <laughs> thing came separate. <laughs> So Mel's kind it's of just, just like me talking shit. Yeah. So I know I was a big fan of the rants and then it was like, oh, there's also like a part of it as well. Like that's just a bonus that you give to patrons on top of the GoGo Academy. So do you want to maybe explain to the listeners what the GoGo Academy is, how it started and uh, how it's kind of evolved over the years? Sure. Well, I started the GoGo Academy. I initially started my life as a performer playing in bands when I was in high school. We used to do heaps of gigs around town, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, yeah, I wanted to be a drummer and I was a drummer. But, oh, then I, you know, and then I had a break from showbiz, you know, when you're young, you've got to get a real job so you can pay your bills and not end up homeless. And so I'd gotten a real job and then blah, blah, blah. And then I'd sort of 
all this stuff happened and I ended up really fat and depressed. And I was like, <laughs> I hate going to the gym. I hate going to the gym. I hate exercise. I hate people who exercise. I hate the lights. I hate the mirrors. I don't want to wear these ugly shoes. Like, I just hate everything about it. But I have to exercise so I don't have a stroke. So I, you know, like I said, I've always loved music videos since I was a very small child. And a couple of things really imprinted on my mind, like music videos, Elvis movies, um, you know, few few things like Michael Jackson saved my life. We can talk about that later. But all of this stuff happened and then I was like, I'm super fat and super depressed and I'm either going to kill myself or I have to get my shit together. So what can I do to make myself feel better? That's not, you know, drugs and alcohol or eating more food. So I started dancing in my lounge room to all the music videos that I love. And then I was like, right, all right, well, this is fun. And then I started going, oh, my God, I've always wanted to learn that dance or this dance and teaching them to myself, like all the music videos I've been obsessed with and all the dances I'd wanted to know. Like I always wanted to know Thriller Dance. I always wanted to know, you know, how to dance like whoever. So I started teaching myself. And then I started losing weight. And I was like, this is actually really fun. And the music's better than to get at the gym. And I can wear whatever I want. And then I lost heaps of weight. And I was like, this is really good. And then at the same time, a, a little bit later, I'd started um, burlesque. So we were first like burlesque troupe, my friends and I, in Australia, first neo-burlesque troupe back in 2001 um, when there wasn't really any burlesque happening anywhere. So we started doing that and then blah, blah. And one thing led to another. And then sort of from there, I got the confidence to start my own classes. And so I, what I wanted was to create an alternative to all kinds of normal fitness. So I wanted a place where everyone could come, everyone would feel comfortable. It was inclusive, fun, funny, didn't take ourselves too seriously, good cardio, preferably wine available. Um <laughs> You know, so I wanted to create because there was no alternative fitness options available at that time. Mm -hmm. Like in the early 2000s, you could go to the gym or you could go to a dance class with dance people, you know, yeah. like skinny girls, like skinny girls who've been training since they were three to do their, you know, A levels in jazz or whatever. Like I just like dancing because it's fun and it's good exercise and it's so fun. You feel like you're not exercising, you know. So I wanted to create something that was the alternative of all that. We're with not wine. competing. Yeah, with wine. We're not competing. We're just having fun. Everyone can come. All types of people, gay, straight, squares, mums, retirees, big people, small people, drag queens, weirdos, everybody was welcome. And – um. Everyone at the time was like, you're insane. What are you talking about? No one will want to do that. Nobody wants to learn that shit. If people wanted that, it would already exist. So you're tripping. Whoa. So, yeah, I was really up against it. And I was a public servant at the time working in the government. And um, everyone's like, you can't, look, you, you can't give up this big job and all this money and leave and blah and thing. And I was like, well, I've got to try. So I tried and I just did one night a week. And the first class, I think I had 20 people. The next class I had 40. The next one I had 60. And it was like within three weeks, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is 
this is going off. And it proved everybody wrong. So everyone's like, nah, nobody wants that. And, um, you know, within two years, there was like 10 different other classes that, you know, people who'd come to me and gone, you know what, that's fun. I'm going to do rock and roll yoga. I'm going to go and teach 80s jazz dancing. I'm going to go. Like it just started this explosion of alternative fitness because clearly we needed it. Yeah. Because, you know, like us, we don't go in the gym. We don't want to be under those lights and drinking protein shakes and counting protein grams or some sh- whatever those people do. Mac- macros? They count mac- what do they count? They're counting macros yeah. or micros. Or- macros. Yeah, what? What? I don't know what that means, but Come I know on. people I mean, are counting it. Good for them. Good for them. Enjoy your life. But it, yeah, so it just created a big thing and started a revolution. And thank God, because um, it's given all the weirdos and people like me and people not like me and everybody somewhere safe and fun to do exercise without any pressure. Yeah. And what time, so we're, we're jumping around the time a little bit, but I want to know a little bit more about this yeah. early metal Anna who wanted to be a drummer. So when you said you were in a band, what did you do in this band? Were you drumming? Yeah. So I, yeah. when I was really, yeah. So when I was young, I, um, yeah, we had a horrible childhood, very traumatic, dark, dark times, real dark. So obviously when you have a traumatic childhood and you're a disaffected youth, what do you do? You become a massive metalhead and a rebel. And so, you know, at 12 years old, I was wagging school and smoking bongs with the local doll bludgers, you know, up at the flats. And um, they they were all like big metalheads. But, you know, I was young and they were like 12, 13, 14, 15. So it was I, – I was more – I've always loved glam, always loved the glamour you know, always since I was a small child, like been into the glamour, just want to glamour. I never wanted to wear pants. I never wanted to wear flat shoes. Like, just like give me all the makeup and the earrings and the blast. So, of course, the glam rock, you know, glam metal was my jam. So I was obsessed with Skid Row, like, so much. That Rachel Bolin, hot stuff. And hot stuff. I had a poster of him on my wall. I used to kiss it. Night, night, Rachel, every night. Um, and I actually got to meet him a couple of years back. Whoa. Still hot. Wow. Still hot. 13-year-old me was dying. Did you, like, like you, did you have a crack or, like, what was in this time when you met him? Was it, did you keep it, keep it cool or what would you do? It was touch and go to have a crack or not. I <laughs> thought about it. <laughs> I love it. You can't blame me. But then I was like, oh, these guys, you know, he's probably got some, like, fake boob stripper girlfriend. So, you know, <laughs> a stocky middle-aged lady from Reservoir. I don't know if I had much of a chance. But I didn't have a crack anyway. Maybe. I don't know. There might have been a vibe. I don't know. It was my birthday and my friend, my friend Sam managed to get his tickets to Skid Row. It was at the Metro. May the Metro rest in peace just a couple of years back, and she got tickets for a birthday surprise and then managed to talk us backstage so that I could meet Rachel Boland on my birthday, and it was the greatest thing that ever happened. <laughs> but anyway, so I was obsessed with metal. But, yeah, I wanted to be a rock star and a drummer when I grew up. And so, I, yeah, I started playing drums. And then um, in high school we had a couple of bands and we used to play, I think we were in year 11, so I was like 15, 16, in year 11, we had gig at the Rochester Hotel, the Evelyn, 
the Tankerville Arms and Vagonas on Brunswick Street. Wow. You might not remember any of those mm-hmm. venues. I was going to say, I don't remember that. What was you say, Vago- Vagonas? Vagonas, yeah. It was a like a bar sort of thing. We, it closed down after a drive-by shooting some years ago. But, yeah, we used to – so we play gigs. Like, so all of VCE, we were doing gigs like three nights a week. We had three nights residencies a week. And um, wow. I played drums and sang backups and, um, yeah, with some people that people would probably know. And then in year 12, uh, I did music for year 12 um, on drums. And so I did – I played with our band – and did backups. We had like it was called King Cordero. It was like a funky soul band. Great. We were and, just, um, Mal just wrote down name of band. It's like what were you just being? Yeah. A bit, you're being a bit coy here. So <laughs> it was cool. I mean, you'd never heard of us. I've got some of our old demos on cassette, but at the time we were a big deal. Um, you know, around the Fitzroy area, anyway. Who were some uh, of the bands you played uh, with when you said you played with some notable bands? What do you remember? Uh, we used to play with this epic band called Cranky. Who are amazing. Look them up uh-huh. if you can find anything of theirs. Um, we play with a band called the Funk and Wagnalls a lot. Kylie Aldist, you might have heard of. We used to do gigs with her all the time. She sings with the Bamboos now. Oh, cool. Um, I love those guys. Yeah. So in year 12, or we, I, for my year 12 assessment for VCE, I played drums in a big band. So we did like Herbie Hancock and um, – I reworked like a blood, sweat and tears number and stuff and I played drums on that. I had my own big band for my year 12 assessment and then we also had our other band that the other guys would use for their year 12 assessment and our assessor, one of the assessors was um, Eric McCusker from Mondo Rock. Whoa. Yeah, and so he called us after because it was me and my two, my best girlfriend and her sister were singing and he called us and said, do you want to be in a band? And we were like, oh, my God, we've made it. We've yeah. made it. Like, That's it. And so we, yeah, like he had a house around the corner from our school. And um, so we started, he started a band with us and we used to go around there and rehearse. And he had all these gold records on the walls and used to tell us epic stories about playing to 200,000 people in Rio. And, you know, he wrote all those songs like State of the Heart is such an amazing song. Yeah. Even though, you know, Mondo Rock, you look back and think they're daggy. But had some really, State of the Heart's a great song. Come said the boy's a bit gross, but. Uh, it is now, in hindsight. It was a different time, a, you know. Different times. in a mod, To modern ears, you go, oh, those lyrics are a bit, mm. well, this you know, is... like, are you old enough? And you're like, oh, that's, oh, pedos. Yeah. But nobody well, thought they were pedos at the time. Yeah, I was going to say. Just now, you know, now. There's a bit of an elephant in the room here with your love of Michael Jackson. It's like, how do we separate the art from the artist when it comes to Michael Jackson? Because, I mean, we all understand that he's a fantastic musician. There are some questionable things going on behind the scenes there. How do you separate that and still love Michael Jackson, have him on your wall? Is it just the idea of him? How long have you got? (laughs) How long does this podcast go for? It can go for (laughs) as long as you want, Anna. We've got nothing else on tonight. You tell us all about what you think about Michael Jackson. I will say a few things. Um, When I was a little kid, I used to – this is going to get dark just for a very brief second. Okay. When I was very small, about eight years old, I used to pray that I would die in the night and not wake up. So, right, you know, dark, right? I used to just go, you know, I remember watching American TV. They used to say that prayer. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I would just say, I pray the Lord my soul to take. 
because life was bad, bad, bad. And they used to pray that I was dead. But at around that time, the neighbor, uh, one of my neighbor's dads used to play with the kids in the street and one of the dads could tell I was into music and stuff and what sort of stuff I liked. And he gave me a cassette of the Thriller album and it blew my tiny, tiny, tiny traumatised little mind. And it was that album that actually made me, for the first time in my life, think that life would be worth living. Wow. So MJ like, saved your life with Thriller? Literally, yeah. That wow. album made me go, if this exists, maybe there are good things in the world. Maybe there is a reason to live. Maybe there's, if this exists, the world can't be all bad. There must be something good in this world if this album exists. Like it really, it really did literally save my life. Wow. Reason to live until I heard the Thriller album. So that really, yeah, changed my life. And that album saved my life. And at the time I was sleeping in the cupboard. <laughs> yeah. So what? I got a friend of mine went to the show and got a Michael Jackson show bag and she gave me the poster from it and it was Michael Jackson in the lemon sweater vest with the white shirt underneath, Every that iconic photo. And I put that poster behind the coats in the cupboard that I slept in and I used to kiss it every night and wish that Michael Jackson was my husband and that one day I could meet him and one day I would know the Thriller dance. And, um, you know. So you're like one out of three was pretty good, you know, <laughs> out of all of those things. Yeah. It saved, it saved my life. That album just showed that little tiny Anna that there were things in life that were worth living for. Wow. Or could be. Yeah. Or could be. So that, you, I, you know, despite all the other stuff, and I will say, having been abused as a child and an adult, I wouldn't ever – ever not believe anyone who says that that has happened because, you know, it, I just wouldn't. You can't do that to people. Yeah. And if somebody says that, that something has happened to them, you believe them. Like that's it. But at the same time, um, as an artist, you cannot deny the impact of Michael Jackson. Like, you know, number one hits in – five decades, four decades, five decades. Um, he changed the course of every music video that exists today references Michael Jackson in some way. Every artist that exists today, epic artists, Beyonce, Bruno Mars, like the biggest stars in the world reference Michael Jackson in everything that they do. Like he was the Elvis of our time and the most influential artist of our time. And the you can't deny the impact of his work, not just on me personally as a little girl and an adult woman, and um, but on the world. Like he is a world-changing, life-changing artist. And, you know, I think like a Messiah-level artist, you know, like, no, I'm serious. Like no, Elvis yeah, or whatever. Like you know? The statue, there's, there you know. Artists, there's stuff that there's pe artists that people like. There are bands that people like that other people don't like or whatever. You know, you can show a tiny child in Africa a picture of Michael Jackson. They know who that is and they'll do a little shaman leg. Like his, his reach and his influence on popular culture is extraordinary and that can't be denied. The other stuff is, 
horrific, heartbreaking. If it's true, it's a nightmare. But if it, it, you you can't erase the, you can't separate the, you know, you can't just cancel all of the work that he did, all the amazing things that he did, all the the, the popular culture has changed irrevocably because of his work in the same way that Elvis had that impact or Frank Sinatra before him or whoever Beyonce is having now. You can't deny that. And, you know, I would say on a general note, because, you know, I don't want to be one of those deniers, you know, because I'm not. Like you have to believe, you've got to believe people and who knows, you know. And he was a very traumatised child and man and his parents were monsters and, I mean, he was the breadwinner for his family when he was nine years old. He was resp- He was the breadwinner for 11 people at nine years old. Like, that's some fucked up shit. Like, that's going to fuck a person up. Yeah, you know, like whipped and stuff gonna- by the belt but between takes and stuff. Yeah, it's no good. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, the, you can't imagine how damaged he was as a person. And, you know, trauma is generational. You know, they, we know that now. Mm. Like, you know. It travels in your DNA. There's a generational trauma, like karmic trauma, like that bloodline stuff is it's actual fact. So you can't, I mean, he's a damaged man. But anyway, if, if we cancel everyone who's questionable, we literally cannot listen to any music or consume any media or do anything. Elvis used to go, his favourite thing was to go looking for 14-year-old girls. Oh. Anyone question that Elvis is the king of rock and roll? No. Does anyone question his impact on society? We can't. Like Picasso, disgusting person. You know, they're all like we have to separate the art from the artist to some degree. Yeah, and if you to can, some degree, if you can, you know, teach people how to do the thriller dance and they have a nice time in your, one of your, you know, dance sessions, then maybe that's undoing some of the badness that you know. If if some badness crept out, you can zip it up. You know. Oh, my God, exactly right. And that's the thing, like, um, I used to do the annual thriller dance for Thrill the World every year and, you know, record-breaking mass thriller dance where I teach it to people. The amount of people who told me that learning that dance and dancing it at Halloween en masse in some epic location or whatever changed their life, saved their life, that dancing with me saved their life, blah. Like, if, if... if Michael Jackson had that impact on me, and not just on me, on almost every modern-day artist is somehow influenced by Michael Jackson, whether they know it or not. Yeah. Um, if if the, the influence he had over me helps me help people feel joy or have an amazing life or saves their life when they're having a traumatic time and dancing with me makes them feel better and gets them through or whatever, that's, that's an amazing thing and that's really all I can do. I mean, we're not, I'm not talking about Michael Jackson, the man. I'm talking about Michael Jackson, the artist. Yeah. The dancing, slick, super cool. About his work. His work, Mm. you know. His work. And he was, you know, it's, um, yeah, it would be very difficult. Like if I went through my iPod now, I don't know who I'd end up with if I cancelled everyone in there who was, you know, questionable. Yeah. It's just part of I mean, the nature of it all, isn't it? Now, let's talk a little bit about 
uh, how you just mentioned the thrill, the world uh, events that you did. How did you go from, you know, the GoGo Academy's picking up steam, you're getting more people each week. How do you then go, I'm going to do a giant thing where everyone's going to do the thriller dance in an epic location? How did that happen? Well, it already existed for a few years before this amazing chick Inez from Canada invented it. Oh. And, um, and it was really, yeah, it was just doing the, the Melbourne one was really a logical progression for me because I was like doing five classes a week, you know, and hundreds of people coming to class and it was like, well, we have to do, we have to do it. We can't, like it would be mental if we didn't. So it really just came about like that. So, um, yeah, that was really, that was really amazing. We don't do that anymore, but, and now I do the Wuthering Heights one, which oh, is, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay ever, which is yeah, brings me some of that mass dance joy without having to um, argue with people about Michael Jackson. Because <laughs> I assume just want to be clear. I just want to be clear because I don't want people writing me letters <laughs> when I talk about Michael Jackson. I'm talking about the artist and his work. I'm not talking about the man. I don't know the man. He was clearly a very very damaged person, <laughs> yeah. and obviously cause some damage, of of course. So I'm not, yeah, I just want to be clear so people don't send me letters. And he saved your life, all right? You know, you're allowed. Saved my life. Yeah. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm, saved my life. I'm fine with that. So so how long, so what time frame was this? You said you took some time off. You worked a government job, did you say? Yeah, I used to work in public health. How did that? Which I cared about or knew about public health until right now. <laughs> It's the only time anyone cares about the public health department. When did you stop working for public health? Was it just around the time of corona? Did you leave and then everything fell to shit? Is that what's happened? Is that what you're trying to say? Ages ago, no. So what happened was I, um, yeah, I quit in 2009. Oh, okay. So, and went full time doing what I do now. In 2009, I quit. Wow. Which is a shame. We never had any hot chief health officers. And now every, now every, all my old workmates have got bloody Brett Sutton. I was like, I could have been sitting outside that guy's office. What do you think about the uh, the current state of, you know, of, of politics as someone who was kind of in it, I guess, by working in it? Like, where do you think we've gone from 2009 to now? Like, the discourse has changed a lot and the world's changed a lot. But what can you see any kind of, were there any moments that you saw, you're like, oh, this is going to be a problem years from now? Or did you see any of that back in the 2000s? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the biggest one, children overboard. This is federal politics, not state. But um, I will say that when I did work in, in public health um, for a brief time, Daniel Andrews was our uh, was our health minister. So I know, you know, I know from on the ground, he's a good dude. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the, uh, I, I think the tone in politics changed children overboard time. Because that was the time that the government, John Howard specifically, worked out, you can say whatever horrific lie you want and apologise for it later but still achieve your end goal. Like what he wanted to do was demonise refugees. So he said, oh, they're throwing their children off overboard, off the ship. Everybody believes it. Everybody reads the headlines. Everybody, you know, blah, blah, blah. Later on he goes, oh, yeah, sorry, that wasn't true. But the damage was done. And then you get offshore detention, then you get people treating refugees like terrorists and like that that whole 
I think politically in this country that changed everything that moment because politicians realised they could say whatever they wanted, whether it was true or not, and just saying it, enough people would see the headline. I mean, people don't read articles. They just read the headline. You know, so if you go, refugees throw own babies overboard to drown, people go, oh, shit, that sounds real bad. They must be awful people. And they move on. They don't read the article and go, oh, well, no, they didn't. didn't never happened. So I think that that's why now we have, like, the kind of politics we do in this country where they can really undermine everybody, say and do whatever you want, you know, like, here's a $5 tax break for everyone while we go and privatise everything. You know, we're giving everyone five bucks while we sell off aged care and health and education and reinstate uni fees and do whatever whatever they wanted to do. I think that was a big political moment that I was like, oh, shit, shit's not going to go good. And it hasn't. <laughs> and did you? And it because now, I mean, you see it now. You see it now on social media. Like um, Brett Sutton had a day off the other day, which were hard-earned, and then apparently ScoMo's mobilised all of his, you know, gross henchmen and sidekicks to undermine him. So then they go, oh, well, Brett Sutton wasn't at the briefing. Yeah, there's tension between him and Dan Andrews. Yeah, he's leaving. He's going to quit as the chief health officer, blah, blah, blah. He's not. He was having a day off. But people have already heard that and go, ooh, him and Dan Andrews are fighting. Ooh, they're not, you know, they're not doing his well, blah, blah, blah. Like those little hooks get in. Those little seeds get planted. It's too late. You can't dig them up then. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I think Children Overboard was the first example of that. And now we see it all the time. Dude was just having a day off. Yeah, and I guess there was no, like, social media wasn't even so prevalent back then as well. So, like, imagine if there was that crisis back in those days and people were posting and sharing misinformed, you know, news articles about it then back then. Like, it would have been terrifying. Exactly. Exactly. And now we've got Facebook and, you know, and Twitter and fake news and blah and whatever. But, yeah, anyway, <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, what are you going to do? It's, um, yeah, it's a lot. So what else? Ask so, more questions. Are, they, are we still on the quick questions? Nah, we've just moved on. This has just become conversational <laughs> now, Anna. We're like, we're like 40 minutes Bad. into this podcast. It's going oh, great. Sorry. No, why are you apologising for? I talk. I talk. That's how the rants started, actually, to circle back to that. <laughs> yeah, please. That's why I've separated out the rants and the dance classes because when you come to a dance class with me to distract people during the boring warm-up, I'll talk about my day or talk shit or to explain about my latest perm or, um, <laughs> you know, some misogyny I experienced that day, whatever it is. I would talk about that to sort of get people laughing and sort of get the joke on me and get us all chilled out and ready to dance without any pressure. <laughs> you know, the joke's on me, everyone. Lol. Yeah. And then off we go. So that. That's how I sort of ended up being known for sort of a dance class as well as weird, vaguely comedic, sometimes strange ranting in the context of a dance class. But for online, I can't really do that. I can't really rant and dance and talk at the same time, so I had to separate them out. Yeah, so you can yeah. rant or the dance class. 
So when did you make the move? Was this when COVID happened to make the GoGo Academy go completely online? Is that where were you holding the GoGo Academy before kind of COVID happened? I was teaching in um, Fitzroy and Footscray and just doing gigs, festivals, you know, all that stuff. Um, and, yeah, the my last gig, I had a radio gig on March 13 at the ABC uh, where I go on a thing. It's called the Too Hard Basket where readers, like listeners send in a problem and we try to give them advice. Oh, lovely. Uh, so I'd done that on March 13 and then 14th and 15th I had two big festivals booked and then they got cancelled that day and I've been home ever since. Whoa. So, yeah, I sort of took about a week and then I was like, right, better get my shit together and work out how to not die and how to not end up homeless. So it was what they call a pandemic pivot. Oh, yeah. I basically pivoted to online and I think it's worked pretty good. Patreon's been pretty good and I'm getting good feedback. I still miss the instant feedback and I miss seeing people's happy faces and we're dancing like, I wish I had a magic TV that could see into everyone's lounge rooms and see them their happy faces. I'm sure the see government's got that. Maybe groups. ask some of your government contacts and see if you can, you know, see some webcams, you know. They might have access for you. Yeah, maybe ASIO can unlock some webcams for me. Yeah, just tell them they're like suspected terrorists or something and then just get access. <laughs> really sweet. These people have been suspected of performing sick moves in their own <laughs> So... I, I love that you mentioned when we, we talked about it because I, I loved that you pivoted the Patreon pivots really good and you mentioned that like no one has schedules anymore in, in COVID times and I really like that because as we just discussed this morning, today is a Monday, it doesn't feel like Monday, days don't, <laughs> not, like days don't yeah. feel like days anymore, like what's the, what's the, without that structure, it's all very strange and I think you're right, I think it is, I think the idea of having something that would go live at a time can work but I think people are just ready to just have things queued up for when they want them you know yeah and that's the thing like and one of the things about my classes is uh, you know I'm always you know I made them really cheap and I made them really fun and I made them in a place we could have wine so you could have a glass of wine after work and exercise and get it all done in one go and blah and so I wanted this to be equally convenient like dance whenever you want I'm not a morning person but some people are I've heard that some people like to exercise in the morning, so they can if they want. You know, I'm more of a night person, so I would rather do it at night. So I just was like I didn't want to lock people into schedule because if the whole world's turned upside down, you can't, you know, what are you going to do? It's Wednesday at 7 p.m. What is that? Who not Like, what is it? It doesn't exist anymore. Like Wednesday after work is when people used to go. There isn't, that doesn't, it's not real. So I wanted people to be able to do them whenever they want. So that was part of the thing of like filming it in advance and sending it on demand. So people can make their own schedules and enjoy their own lives however they like, morning time, night time, whenever. And has the, have the classes changed in COVID times? Like what's different about you performing to a camera uh, versus, you know, a room full of instant gratification? Yeah, well, that's true. That's the hardest part is, um, you know, actually, I don't know. I, people have said to me they feel like they're still dancing with me and like I'm talking to them and they have weird moments like, um, you know, where I'll say, what do you want to do for a line dance? And, you know, someone will yell out the reservoir heartbeat and then I'll, it'll happen to be the week that I'm doing it. Like weird things like that are happening. But 
I try to picture behind my friend Leanne does the filming for me and she's amazing. And um, I try to picture her. She's just next to my lounge room window, wedged in behind the TV with her phone, and she films it. But behind her, I try to visualise there's a room of people that I'm talking to. And, I mean, I've, I've done so many classes in the last nearly 15 years, it's not hard for me to visualise that everybody's there with me. And it's a, I feel like it's not hard for me to guess which moves they might need a bit more clarifying or which ones don't. I don't know. Am I getting it right, Mel? Am I getting a good balance? <laughs> yeah, spot on. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like you're talking directly at me when I'm doing them, definitely. I am. I'm picturing you there. I'm picturing you there. So, but the, what's interesting for me is I'm not one of those performers who, like, I don't know, did you see Jimmy Fallon when he first um, went into lockdown, how depressed he was? Oh, no, but I didn't see Jimmy Fallon, but I saw John Oliver. He moved his show, like, last week tonight to in his, like, living room or whatever, and it's just, like, devoid of any soul. And, like, the jokes don't land <laughs> and, like, everything is weird without the caged, or the canned laughter, you know, or, like, the... the... Yeah. Exactly. So, like, I remember seeing Jimmy Fallon right at the start, like, going, oh, the Tonight Show's on YouTube. And he's just a poor, sad dad whose kids don't know him, you know, like. <laughs> oh, and allegedly he's a big drinker as well. Have you heard that? Well, you can tell. He's a poor thing. Like, but well, he really, he's a person who needs an audience, you know. <laughs> like, he needs them. And I, I never thought I was a person who needs an audience. Like, I'm the same now as I am pretty much most of the time, varying levels of energy, but I'm I'm the same person. Like it's not an act who I am or what I say or what I do. So it's not, I'm not like, oh, well, here's showbiz me and here's, it's just an extreme version, energy level of me, yes. dance class. But um, it's, it's the same me, just more energy to inspire the people to jump higher. But it, <laughs> I, I do miss, my point is I miss, it's interesting to me, I get really exhausted now doing an hour class in my lounge room yelling at a phone and imagining everyone's there is a lot more exhausting now than it was. Like I'd go and do an hour class and it would be nothing and I'd be energised after because I'd get as much energy back. Just when, when, when you dance in a big room of people, it generates a lot of energy and electricity, you know, it's palpable and it, it sort of elevates everyone's level of dancing and everybody's joy and, you know, does all of that stuff. So it's a bit weird now because I don't get any energy back. So I give a, a, a fear. I'm visualising it, but I'm not feeling that amazing feeling of dancing in a whole room of people all dancing together. Like doing the hustle on your own is a bit sad, <laughs> you know. Doing it with a whole bunch of people, you're like, look at us, we're all doing the exact same dance. We're like Saturday Night Fever, you know. But on your own, you're a bit like, oh, this goes forever, this thing. <laughs> you know? Has there been any other limitations other than not getting that instant gratification back? Uh, is, are things backwards or reversed with a, like a, a camera? Or have you experienced anything else where you're like, oh, this isn't the same? Or it's, ju it's just the lack of people? Um, no, it's actually, yeah, it's just that. It's just the people. I miss seeing their faces. And I miss, I miss seeing someone hate a move at the start and then nail it and get – I miss seeing that joy on their face. Like I miss seeing people walk into the class going, I don't even want to do this, I've had a shit day and blah, blah, blah. And then they're leaving and they're laughing and they're beaming and 
they're all happy and they feel better about their life. Like I miss, I just, that's what I miss. I just miss seeing that transformation because you could literally see it on people's faces well, who yeah. said, oh, what doesn't feel it, you know? What was the, what's the kind of percentage of people that would come in and be a little bit like arms folded, a bit hesitant and then come out like loving it? How many of them would you get per session? Like- well, in my classes, not many because people choose to come there um, and do it so they know like what they're getting. Most people will come. Like sometimes people will bring a begrudging friend, like they forced a friend to come yeah. and then their friend then I'm like, I'll never see them again. Um, <laughs> but usually at class people choose to come and they know what they're getting so I don't really get that. But one of the things I do that um, it, it had never been done before and, you know, I've kind of mastered is the impromptu dance class at like massive events and festivals and parties and, you know, like I'll go to a hen's party and it's like it's a bunch of like, you know, g- girls that look like they should be on The Bachelor and they hate my guts on site. Like they just hate me. As soon as I walk in, they're like, oh, we fucking hate you. We want you to die. And then I go, that's all right. You'll love me by the end. And making those people dance is incredibly rewarding. And then they do love it by the end and then we're all best friends and that's amazing. But I get a lot of that when I go to a festival or whatever or a party. I did a wedding a while back just before lockdown and there was just one real angry uncle. Like <laughs> it was just everyone else at the wedding was like, let's do this. And there was just one uncle, you know, the beige chinos, blue and white striped shirt, liberal voting type guy <laughs> that the side of me, the side of me on the stage just – filled him with rage that because, he couldn't contain. Because it was a woman speaking freely? Like, is that, like, is that, where do you think that the hate comes from? That Who is this woman talking about feminism and stuff? I can't believe it. How dare she think she could talk yeah, about Yeah, and things. I don't even, I don't even do that at weddings. Like, this was just on site. <laughs> like, I just got up the bride and groom are like, we love Anna and we, because she's going to make us all dance and we want you all to do these. These are dances we wanted to do at our wedding and we want you all to join in. And everyone was up and this guy was just like, I hate the look of her. I want to kill her. And before I'd even started, he was like, shut up. Get off. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the, I tell you, the best worst gig of my life it was the best and the worst. Oh, the best fantastic. of times. Yeah. In one gig, in one gig was a, the first white night. So I had, I was teaching a dance class in Fed Square and it was the first white night and there was 10 or 15,000 people there. Wow. And it's just me. Like the girls, some of my girls came and danced with me and some of my guys, they came and like opened with we did shake a tail for that open and then they went off stage and I was on alone on stage for an hour trying to make 10,000 people dance together who are drunk at midnight in Fed Square wow and try telling one person a dance move and then times that by 10,000 and then make them drunk in the middle of the city in the middle of the night and the whole front row was this bunch of angry bogan teenagers who were like basically spent the entire time yelling at me. And I'm just one person on the stage with a sea of people to the horizon, right, going, oh, my God, I have to control them with my mind and try to charm these people into all dancing together. How? How? 
And the f- whole front row is this bunch of angry bogan uh, young guys, I don't know, teenagers, early 20s, who were just yelling, fuck off, you fat C word. We're going to kill you, you fat C word. You should die. Get off the stage. Shut up, you fat C. We'll kill you, you bitch. You're going to die. Oh, my God. And I'm like, all right, let's do the hustle. <laughs> The security guards did nothing, and of course, and there was this some like as a performer, any performer will understand what like could understand the horror of that, like being on stage and being threatened with physical violence. And I had a headset mic on, so I couldn't do anything. I couldn't tell them what I wanted to tell them. I couldn't say anything to them to make them get stuffed. I couldn't shut them down like I normally would. Because I've got a headset on stuck to my face, so every, every breath 10,000 people can hear. Yeah. The people at the back hear that I'm getting death threats from drunk, angry bogans. And so that was absolute torture. But by the end of it, I had 10,000 people dancing together and it was, you know, I cried from joy and exhaustion and also horror and fear at the same time, like that gig. That was the greatest gig of my life and also one of the hardest. Yeah, I could imagine yeah. that that's like must be a really strange power to wield having that many people doing the hustle. Like the the universe's, you know, force or whatever you want to call it, you know, there was something going on in Fed Square that night, which is pretty fun. You did that. That was you. Yeah, it was it was incredible. It was incredible and um quite an achievement. But yeah, there is like a takes a lot of emotional energy to kind of Get, I picture everyone in like my tractor beam, you know, like I send out a sort of a tractor beam and everyone's in it. And I picture them all dancing in my mind. And, you know, Mel would know, people would know, I don't really accept no for an answer. If people don't want to dance, it's too bad they're going to dance with me because I know they're going to like it. <laughs> and they always do. They always do. I've got to, yeah, I've just got to force them into it at the start. And then people people who hate dancing be like, I hate dancing, I'm not going to dance. I'm like, all right, well, you have to join in or you'll get trampled. And then later they go, that was the best. So I know what's good for them. But, yeah, it can be rough. <laughs> it's just about that push to just get them there. Yeah, it's just, you know, nobody wants to dance. It's exposing and you feel vulnerable and every single person will tell you, I can't dance. And everyone, they'll all say it, but they're wrong. Like people can dance. They're just scared of it. Like we have some problem in this country where we traumatise children into thinking they can't dance and, um, you know, and they get this idea in their head. But everyone can. I'm proof of that. That's my job to prove that everyone can. Wow. That's lovely. Um, let's talk a little bit about some woo-woo stuff because uh, – when I approached you to do this show, you got excited based on the concept of the show and you said, can we talk about some woo-woo stuff? What did you want to talk about specifically that was woo-woo? You know, like where do you stand on this? Like have you been to a tarot reader before? Have you been to a psychic before? Well, I wanted to ask you, you've gone a bit robot-y. Oh, Is it me? Should I? Maybe. I'm, I don't know. I'm sorry if I've turned robot-y. This is the stage of the show where I turn into a robot. No, I wanted to ask you about, like, uh, what's your, like, relationship with woo-woo stuff? Like, have you seen a psychic before? Have you seen a tarot reader before? Like, where, where's your woo-woo spectrum? Where are you on that? Oh, lots. I've, um, yeah, I'm very open to the woo-woo stuff. But, yeah, I wanted to know why do you do the tarot cards at the start? How did that come about? 
Um, I don't think we've ever really just dis- have we discussed this on the show before. Are we? Back? Hello, we're back. Hey, see, we went all woo woo and then got cut off. The energy was too great. Do you think? Do you think? <laughs> Some government agency shut the NBN off when we were about to start getting a bit woo-woo in this conversation. Yep. Maybe there's something else going on. Um, uh, Let's just, we'll take it back because I don't really know. I went robot-y and I don't know what we were talking about. So we'll start a clean break here uh, just for editing's purposes, Anna, to make it easy for myself. Sure. Um, You asked asked about the tarot. How did I get the tarot gimmick? How that happened. So what happened was... Uh, exclusive for the show because I don't think anyone knows this. I went and saw a tarot lady in Geelong years ago and she was awesome. And she was like, she totally had me enthralled in the kind of uh, pageantry that a tarot lady should have, you know, and was telling me that I was like great and awesome and I'm going to do great things and blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of it, she told me to find the others. And I was like, what does that mean? And she's like, oh, you'll know. And I was like, oh, that's fun. Maybe that should be the name of the podcast called Find the Others. And it's like, find people that I like and I talk to and learn from and blah, 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 blah. It'd be great. Turns out it's a Timothy Leary quote. So like Find the Others was all over the internet. There was already a Find the Others podcast. It wasn't an original idea. And I was like, fuck you, tarot lady. And then that was, I was like, that's a way better idea for the show. And then having that gimmick of the cards. Cause I was like, I said to Mel before the show, I'm like, wouldn't it be great if like, you know, Anna gets like queen of something, you know, but it's like not, not to bring in the se- the genders or the sexes in this, you know, but it was yeah. just fucking hilarious that when I did that thing and you flipped it, because I'm always scared to flip the card over for the guests now because it's like, what if it's like a bad one? It's like not, because usually they pick the card in non-COVID time, so it's their fault, you yeah. know? But luckily yeah, you picked the Empress, which was great. And it sounds very much like you and it proves that my show has legs. Yeah, and it <laughs> proves that whether you believe it or not, you've got some power this one, Fred. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk about your that's, your woo woo. Like you said, you do a little bit of woo woo stuff yourself, right? Can you can you give us a bit of a insight into that? On, on top of all the dancing and everything else you do, I do. Yeah, and I don't I don't really talk about this stuff too much. But yeah, well, it's a pretty magical kid. Like I could imagine. I imagine that I could talk to animals, and I believe that they could talk to me, and I understood them and stuff. Like it's always very connected with animals and creatures and nature and stuff and could see, you know, I mean, it sounds insane because I still even saying it, I sound like a crazy person, but, you know, fairies and spirits and lights and things. But I always just put it down to, I don't know, detachment from reality because of trauma. Yeah, so my father passed away in 2003 and I'd kind of gotten a long way, which I think contributed to my depression and stuff, a long way from the spiritual side of myself. And him passing away sort of opened that doorway, that possibility in my mind that, you know, there are layers of things that exist that we can't see but you can feel, you know, blah. And then I sort of, yeah, I've just been doing a lot of spiritual work lately and, working on a lot of that stuff and my own energy and things. And I've uh, realized that, you know, because I teach really dumb dance moves, right, really dumb. But people feel better afterwards and they feel better after dancing with me and they feel something. And there's something about energy that's very healing. And if you generate the right kind of energy, you can heal people. And, you know, so that's really opened me up to a lot of possibilities and, you know, just accepting that there are some things that I can't explain 
that have happened in my life, weird miracles, weird coincidences, weird energy sort of events. I have a problem when I try to turn on the lamp, oftentimes the light globe will blow. And I was talking to a spiritual healer and she's like, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. You just got to get used to it. I was like, okay. So, (laughs) you know, for us having all these technical difficulties, I'm like, that's fine because whenever I start talking about magical things or, you know, I'm, or whatever, the phone drops out, a light globe blows, weird lights appear in the video that were there before. Like these things are just, you know, weird shit happens. Yeah. So you think that that's just always been there since you've been a kid, seeing fairies and that kind of stuff, and it's always kind of lingered around? Yeah. And I, well, I think I got, a, I got very detached from sort of my spiritual side of myself or the energy side of myself. And, you know, energy is real. Like you can tell a person if they have bad energy, how they make you feel after you've been with them. You know, you can tell a lot of stuff from people about their energy. Some people's energy is very healing. Some people's blah. So energy, you know, I'm just interested in energy and the the whole universe is made up of energy and I'm, I'm interested in all of those things. You know, like the energy generated between people, the energy we generate when we dance, the energy people project how that affects other people, these things interest me a lot. And But I wasn't really – I didn't really open myself up again to that until after Dad died. That was sort of a catalyst for thinking more about those things and sort of coming back to myself, as, which is why that card is, is um, you know, is the perfect timing because one of the things I'm doing at the moment is just reconnecting with nature. Like we're all very – people are very disconnected now, you know. They don't walk on the grass. They don't – go under the trees they don't smell flowers they don't, people are just like working and paying bills and buying shit and they're not really conscious of all the energy that's around and the energy they can use and the energy they give other people and the energy of other people that they take on like these things are real everybody knows that you know that person you hang around with and you're like oh my god they're so draining <laughs> you know that's the energy. you know like that stuff is real like it sounds or woo-woo and new agey and nonsense, but everybody knows these things. Oh, there you are. I can see you again. Oh, hello. But, you know, everybody knows these things are real. You can feel it. Like, you know those people who are just energy parasites who just a couple of hours with them and you're like, oh, my God, I'm a shadow of my former self. And then you also know those people who give out a lot of good energy and you feel energized when you're with them. Like, energy is real. And it's just a thing I've been really interested in a lot through my work because a lot of my work is generating good energy and, and helping people feel better and shifting the energy in your own body. Like that's why dancing feels great. Even if you're not doing dance moves, even if you're just doing whatever in the lounge room, you feel different after you dance because you're shifting the energy around in your, in your aura and your fields and in your body. And, you know, so I've, I've always been interested in that from a work perspective, but uh, yeah, it's interesting that I, I sort of forgot about that side of myself because of daily life and, trying to, you know, make money and pay bills and live. And then I've just come back to that lately, trying to harness those things to understand that force. Yeah, there's just a do-do-do. Um, yeah, how good's the NBA? Oh, my God. Did you have any people that were involved in screwing that up many years ago when it was first uh, devised as a really great internet plan that was going to put us at the top of the map for internet, but now it's just like garbage? Oh, my God. Our government's the worst. Like, <laughs> they're such philistines. But you can tell, 
by looking at them, that they're the kind of guys that have a mobile phone, but their secretary or their wife has to show them how to use it all the time. So, of course, they don't understand the internet, you know? I love that they tried to blame streaming as well. They're like, we weren't ready for the kind of boom that streaming was going to have on the internet. It's like you were building an internet network so we could get more connected to each other on the internet. How did you not think it was going to ramp up? Like, you think that was, the internet was just going to stop and it would be that fast forever? Like, what is wrong with them? Oh, my God. And, yeah, I got a text message from my provider here. It's like, oh, due to increased demand, we're, we're taking the restrictions off the capacity. I'm like, why are you restricting it? Like, it's not going to run out. Like, what, is the internet going to run out so you're holding it back? I have no what idea. What's wrong with these people? Like, basically, I had the best cable internet, never dropped out ever in my life, ever. And since I've had the MBN... I can't even upload a video if it's windy. We're in the same boat. I feel so guilty because when I moved into this house with Mal, I'm like, we need to get faster internet. We need to get the MBN so I can do all the uploads and downloads and all that stuff. And the smoothest, very slow internet has now been replaced with semi-fast but mostly shit internet. And it's like, oh, I feel so bad, you know? I've, I've, yeah. I've done this. <laughs> it, I did this to us. Yeah. I have only myself <laughs> to blame. How can you yeah, you do. <laughs> what, I, what I don't get is how you can make it mandatory for people to have shitty internet. Like, I was happy on the cable. I never had a dropout. It was the best ever. And then they said, we're going to cut you off. You have to switch to the NBN. I kept saying, I don't want it. And they're like, you have to have it. I was like, what kind of a government forces people to have something shitter than what they had before that costs more? Like, you can't force people to have something worse than what you had before. Like, if you're going to make us go on it, it should be a little bit better or at least the same. Oh, my God. Talk to me. This is – and this is because I, I – like, in Geelong, they've got, like, really fast cable internet down there. Like, that's they ran – I think it's for a couple of regional areas, maybe Ballarat as well and a couple of other places. They've got, like, super fast internet. And then here – Garbage up here, like in in a Melbourne metropolitan area, stage five lockdown. Wouldn't we? Shouldn't we have yeah, the money? Yeah. You know, give us the juice. Give us the internet juice yeah, up here. Insane. Same. Um, how do we? Yeah. Where were we before that? Well, we got releasing cut off. Releasing more lot. capacity. Hmm. Yeah, we're releasing more capacity. What were you holding it back for? Just, I don't understand. Like, I, I can't believe it. And then the, I got a call from the MBN going, oh, we want to help you with your problems. How come the MBN doesn't work when it's windy? And I was like, because they ran the wire through the middle of a tree. <laughs> That's why. So when the tree moves in the wind, it like knocks the, knocks the cable out? Yeah. So they wouldn't, my neighbours, it was like five inches. It was going to encroach the wire across, in the air, five inches across their driveway in the air. It was going to encroach on their property. And so my neighbour said, nah, you can't. So they've run it from miles away, diagonally across the street, through the middle of the tree, to the other side, the opposite side of my house. <laughs> How do I sound? How do you sound? You sound all right? Yeah, I think we're good. I think we're back. I think I can just delete this whole fucking middle chunk and we'll just start yeah, from just here. Yeah, just chuck that chunk in the bin. All right, where do you want to go from? I don't know how much of that will be usable in that uh, on-again, off-again 
uh, podcast chat. Is there anything there you'd like to reiterate and we can really lock it down while it's here and we're recording and then we can be a bit more succinct? I've got no idea, but you didn't ask me Metallica or Megadeth. I know, because Mal said not to ask. You're a massive metalhead at that time. It's Metallica. <laughs> Obviously, Metallica. Obviously. You'd have to be crazy to say Megadeth. I feel like Metallica. I feel, Come I'm, on. I'm upset that I've offended you, Anna, by not asking you that question. But, you know, that, was, <laughs> that was a producer slip up there by Mouse. Don't ask that. Don't ask that question. Everyone says Metallica. It's not worth it. Everyone says Metallica, of course. It's great. I just still love the question. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. You've made it clear now, Anna, that I just need to ask every guest, no matter who it is, I'm just going to ask them Metallica or Megadeth to see yeah. what happens. Uh, obviously, you said yeah. you've had a, you got, a, you got a crush on Kirk Hammett. Is that right? Yeah, he was hot. But, yeah, uh, all those dudes, you know, those long-haired heavy metal dudes, hot stuff. Hot stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, I always choose Metallica over Megadeth because the musicality, the arrangements, they're, you know, Mel would tell you from the kind of songs I choose for my class, I like a hook, I like you to take it to the bridge, I like more than one idea in a song, you know, like a good quality song has a verse, a chorus, a bridge, you know, a hook, a theme, and then you switch to something else, and then you bring it back, you know, and I like that, I like that about Metallica, you know, they're just not like one note for the whole song. Yeah, They're you, very musical. When you said you love those long-haired metalheads, um, yeah, there's been a lot of those on the show. So. Right. <laughs> I look forward to going through the back catalogue of episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes, prowl around a little bit, you know, see what you find. <laughs> yeah, I'll Instagram stalk some of them. <laughs> Why is this weird cat lady who looks like she's from some other time liking my photos on the Instagram? Now let's let's actually let's talk about your online presence, Anna, because that's all I I know you as, and it's fantastic. Like you said that it's not really like it's just more of an extreme version of yourself. When did you start getting into like really, you know, like the the great fashion now for the rant videos? Like you is this just so you can wear good clothes in ISO? Is that one of those things where you're like, I'm wearing a nice thing today? Is that where it comes from? You know what it was like. I was, you know, I I raised myself on top notch show business. You know, yeah. Elvis films, Michael Jackson, Sammy Davis Jr., Elizabeth Taylor, Marilyn Monroe, like extreme glamour showbiz. Prince, oh my God, Prince, like come on. So I've always had a high regard for proper show business. Like there's nothing I like least than some bands you pay a lot of money to see them and they get on stage wearing their like third best T-shirt and they haven't had a shower and you're like, oh, come on. Like, give us, a sh- like, come on, yeah. this is show business, you know? And so obviously lockdown, I was really overwhelmed at the start because I had to get, um, you know, completely change how I've done business for the last 15 years and get it online, but also do the same for my sister. So I had to help her. She's terrible at the computer. So I had to help her build an online shop for her store. And then I had to help my brother. He had an operation. And so I was helping him at the start of ISO as well, like driving him around and stuff because he couldn't drive and he's got big horses and he lives in the country and he's blah. And so I got really exhausted and I just ended up wearing my dressing gown and tracksuit all the time. (laughs) And then I watched this documentary about Sammy Davis Jr. And he had a gig, right, at the Copacabana and, you know, extreme racism and, you know, the world being generally fucked then and now for all sorts of different people. Um, 
hated this gig. He had like, I don't know, 20 minutes on stage at the Copacabana. And, you know, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, blah, blah, and they're like, you've got to put Sammy Davis on. And that was the greatest, you know, show you could be on at the time. And he came out, he did a 15-foot knee slide, jumped up, sang all these incredible songs perfectly, jumped um, onto every instrument and played every instrument in the band, every single instrument. Then he did 10 minutes of incredibly spot-on celebrity impressions. (laughs) Then he did the world's fastest tap dance and then he like, I don't know, did the splits and left the stage. I'm like, I've gotten so lazy. Like (laughs) it's all I could barely do. I was like, uh, you know, I've got to start bringing back the show business because I just let myself go because why? I'm too tired and who cares? What's the point getting dressed? It's just me and the cats. But I saw that and I was like, show business in general, we've gotten really lazy like, that was his show. Like, come on. He played all the instruments and he did comedy and he did the world's fastest tap dance and he sang like an angel and he did a knee slide across the entire stage just to get on the stage. And I was like, I'm so lazy. We've got to ace it up. And then I was watching um, the documentary about Walter Mercado on Netflix, Mucho, Mucho Amor, and I'm just, you know, that's the extreme kind of glamour I live for and have always been obsessed with. And I was like, right. I've got some outfits in the cupboard that haven't seen the light of day for years. I've got to up the glamour, you know. I can't be lazy. I've got to bring the showbiz. <laughs> but that's just for the rants, though. It's it's strictly showbiz for the, the rants. You can't dance in that shit. That one I was wearing last week, it's got a cape, so it gives you little T-Rex arms because you've got to stick your arms through the cape holes and then you can't, you can't dance in that. When you when when you wore that lovely pink ensemble for the for the rant last week, uh, what, what have you worn that before? That pink number is that a new one or is that an old one? Oh, that's an old one. When I back in the day, many years ago, when I was working in the government, I had corporate money and vintage clothing was cheap, and we were running a burlesque club at the time called Red Door Burlesque, Australia's first burlesque club. Thank you very much. Um, we. We used to really bring the glamour. So I, I accumulated just through doing the burlesque and red carpets and glamorous shows and a lot of glamorous outfits. And when I had government money many years ago in the two, 2000s, I could afford to sort of collect some epic pieces. But, you know, the ones I'm wearing in the rants, they're not really for wearing out. They're kind of the sort of outfits you've got to sit in or stand in. They're photo shoot. TV appearance type outfits. These aren't the kind of clothes you can wear out to a bar. You know, they're highly impractical in modern times. But so I did I did in the old days accumulate quite a collection. That would be impossible now because, you know, vintage is getting rarer and things are getting stupid expensive because of the rarity. You know, it's hard to find those kind of things. But I, back in the day I, I did collect some epic outfits some of them for stage some of them for shows some of them for you know glamorous events photo shoots whatever but yeah I figured I'd better dig them out because Sammy Davis and Walter Mercado made me feel bad about my lack of effort oh and it's it's lovely to see like watching your rants that's a Friday night tradition for Mal and I that will sit and watch it during dinner and it's nice that it's like a cute little thing where you know you've got this excuse now to wear these clothes in a sitting down fashion, which is wonderful. Like not many people can have that like access to the outfits and then something to do, which is just sitting, which is great. 
Yeah, which is good because you can have some of them I can't even walk in. There's <laughs> there's one coming which I won't I won't yeah I'll just I'll leave it to you but it's um you'll see it you'll know it when you see it. There's, I'm saving it until I've got something really good to talk about. Um, but I also like to think that the extreme glamour of the outfit distracts from the fact that usually I'm very unprepared and I just start talking and see what happens. You might have guessed from the rants, like, you know, I don't write a script or plan jokes. Or, I just start talking and hope that I have something to say. <laughs> How often times do you not have anything to say? Are there any times when the rants are short? Because usually they're like, you know, they usually go for about half an hour. I tell you, there's been a few times in my life I have nothing to say. Um, I have been struck dumb. Uh, Flavor of Flav invited me to a party. <laughs> what? I hadn't. I, I was speechless. Okay, please describe in detail when Flavor Flav invited you to a party. Where were you? At the Prince concert um, when he played here. I think it was 2012. Um, it was when he had the big stage shaped like the love symbol, and I uh, had some friends at the time who went well connected musically and they got us a little table right next to the stage like almost on the stage and um Flavor Flav was sitting behind us and so we were watching Prince like Prince was right in front of us like you know between like the coffee table away and um yeah Flavor Flav was behind and then there was a break and oh I ended up dancing on stage with Prince that night wow which was amazing yeah, that was incredible. That was mind blowing. During what? I song? cried for about a week. I cried for about a week after that. It was a song called. There's a big funk jam called "The Days of Wild," and it goes, "Hold on to your wigs." Yeah, these are the days of wild. Put them up, and then it's a big funk jam, and that was epic. So that was that had rendered me almost speechless. Being on stage dancing with Prince, he pulled. They pulled up all these people from the audience, and I was one of them. Yeah, incredible, life changing epic epiphany time moment and then afterwards yeah flavor flavor was behind us we wanted to get a photo with him and uh while we were having the photo taken there was a whole group of us my friends and a couple other people and um i was i had my arm around flavor flavor and he had his arm around me and while they were taking the photo he had his um he basically put his hand up my bum crack what he was resting his hand in my bum crack yeah and like giggling about it, like that, you know, that sort of muttly giggle he has, like. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god! But I couldn't make a face because of the, we're having photos taken. I'm like, well, this is hilarious. It's Flavor Flav, and he, you know, it was hilarious. You can see that. I think that photo somewhere on my Facebook. <laughs> my eyes are a bit bugging out. It's like because Flavor Flav's hands on my bum. So, so I, I don't anyway, understand. Did he just then, grab from behind or, like, has he gone into clothing? Like, when you say your butt crack, like, how did he get to the butt crack? Well, I was wearing a dress, but, no, through the clothing. Like, he just sort of wedged his hand in between my bum cheeks. <laughs> Jesus. Which was funny. Like, it was actually really hilarious. And it was, it was a very funny thing to do. I don't know why it was so funny, but I don't know. It was just a funny guy. But, yeah, that um, – anyway, and then – yeah, he was, yeah. And then we were talking afterwards and, yeah, he's like, what are you doing now because, you know, we are about to bounce or something. And I was like, oh, no. And then he was trying to, yeah, he was giving me a hug and he wouldn't let go and was trying to convince me to go to a party. And I literally just was like, uh, uh, he, he, what? <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> 
Because when you, you never expect in life that Flavor Flav's going to invite you to a party, and I just had nothing to say. Another time I was speechless when Chris Isaac offered me a cold beer and a full body massage. What? And I literally, I ghosted him in real life. What? Why? Yeah, so uh, I saw Chris Isaac years and years ago and um, he threw a drumstick off the stage because he plays drums as well and it hit me in the head and I caught it. And so afterwards my friend wanted to get her CD autographed or whatever and I was like, oh, you hit me in the head with the drumstick, good one, I'm keeping it. And um, he was like, I'll make it up to you. And he grabbed my hands and he's like, how about a cold beer and a full body massage? (laughs) And I was so shocked. I was so shocked because he's hot stuff, that Chris Isaac. And, you know, I was listening to him in the early 90s, like, and going, oh, he's such a dreamboat, blah, 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 and his voice is beautiful. And then for him to say that in real life to my actual face, I literally, according to my friend, blinked twice and then just walked off. (laughs) I didn't say anything. She's like, you, like, this was before ghosting. Like, I actually ghosted him in real life. I just disappeared. Disappeared. I was gone, and uh, then I was outside. Like, what happened? <laughs> if you could do it differently, ex- what would happen? Would you still ghost, or would you like? I don't know. What 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 would happen? What goes on in your mind when you think about what I you could have, have done? Taken him up on the offer. What is mental case? What is wrong with me? But you know, you don't think that these. You could dream of that, right? Like, oh, uh, you know, you could dream of rock stars that you love and you dream of them and you watch their videos and go, oh, I love them. And then if they say something like that to you in real life, it does not compute. Like it just, you're like, what? This is like I really detached from reality and just wandered off. <laughs> Apparently I walked sideways. Apparently I walked off sideways like crab style, like do, 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 and just went out <laughs> I was in shock, obviously. So you hadn't learnt from the Chris Isaac uh, times that when Flavor Flav asked you to go to a party, you still say no. Like, was there a party like, this is like the Chris Isaac thing again? Like, was there a moment or did you just... Just went straight into shock and then went and wandered off. <laughs> so if anyone's going to try and hit on Anagogo, they need to be like a little bit more subtle, you know, like don't just come yeah. like with a crowbar, Give me you know. It's to acclimatise. Like... <laughs> Just give me a few minutes to get my head around the situation because <laughs> I'll literally go to in real life because I don't understand what's happened here. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's, the only other time I was speechless in my life, there have been three times, was um, doing a TV show with Sean McAuliffe. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, he I did some choreography for an episode of It's a Date, which is a show that he was on with um, in an episode with Rove and Sean McAuliffe, and, like, he's just a brilliant man and very charming and hot stuff in real life. And um, he, yeah, so we were doing this episode. We were, like, his backup dancers in this bad theatre restaurant. So I choreographed, like, three whole routines. I had to teach him twerking, like, all this stuff had happened. And, I, I you know, I really idolised him as a comedian and an artist and a writer and everything. And so it was pretty awkward being there. And I had a, I gave the girls a code word and said, if I do anything embarrassing around Sean McAuliffe, just yell orange so I know to stop whatever I'm doing. Anyway, we started having a conversation and or like in between takes or whatever, and he started talk, we started talking about that scene from Young Frankenstein where uh, Frankenstein's monster does putting on the Ritz. 
Like, I don't know if you remember that scene, but it's one of the greatest comedy scenes in history. And if anyone doesn't know, just look up Young Frankenstein putting on the Ritz. It's one of the greatest things ever. And we started talking about that and then somehow he segued into talking about Liberace and glamour and the reasons why, you know, in modern society that kind of glamour can't exist anymore. He believes it's irony. But anyway, blah, blah, blah. And I just went in like a Sean McAuliffe trance and apparently I just started twirling my hair, a thing I have never done in my life (laughs) as a woman. As a woman, I've never been a cutesy talker. I've never been a hair flicker. Like I'm just not. I usually don't believe if someone's flirting with me. So, like, even if they are, I won't notice because I don't believe them. But I've never been that kind of person. But apparently I started, like, twirling my hair and, like, and like touching my decolletage and stuff. And the girls were yelling, orange, orange, orange. But I was in such a Sean McAuliffe trance that I couldn't hear them. Is Sean McAuliffe a taken man? Is he married? Like, was he? Oh, yeah, he's been married forever and has kids and, like, adult kids and everything. But it was just a conversation. And he was dressed in a tuxedo and we'd just been, like, having this amazing conversation and it put me in a weird trance and I started twirling my hair. I couldn't speak. I was just twirling my hair and, like, touching the decolletage of my dress like a maniac. And the the girls are like, we have never seen you behave like that. I've never behaved like that before or since. But it was all the talk about the Liberace and the, you know, the the comedic genius of that scene from Young Frankenstein, and oh, we would just have this wide ranging discussion that sent me speechless and made me twirl my hair. <laughs> I think to this day I'm still ashamed of. Like I'm, I'm just not a hair flicker. When I see it on The Bachelor, I'm like, oh, stop it! Mm. They're always touching their hair. I'm like, stop touching your hair. The only reason to touch your hair is to buff it up. <laughs> Words to live by for sure. Yeah. Um, tell us about the time when you uh, did you meet Bruno Mars? Yes. Yeah. So tell us know. about what happened there. Did you freak out? Did you go weird? I don't know if I should talk about that publicly, but yeah, I did freak out weird. But yeah, we went to Bruno Mars and then managed to get backstage and meet him and yeah, did a little dance off. I taught him the hustle and. I don't know. There were no phones allowed. It was all very secret, secret. I don't know if I'm even allowed to talk about it publicly, but it was pretty. That was incredible. He's a great drummer, you know, Bruno Mars, and an incredible artist. And he understands the old school showbiz, you know, like he understands that you entertain on every level. Yeah. You know how you, this music musically, um, you know it. it how you dress, how you look, how you perform, how you present, like how the band works together. Like he, like Beyonce and, you know, the great artists of our time, whether you like their work or not, they, he, he really understands proper old school entertaining on every level, how you look, how you do your hair, what you wear, how the band interacts, what you say in between the songs, how the band plays, you know, how the lights go, how the dancing is, how the, like it's, um, yeah, he's an amazing, amazing dude. That was, a, yeah, I mean, many miracles have occurred in my life. <laughs> I love that you've referred to meeting famous people as miracles. It's lovely. They are because they've all been sort of it happened at miraculous moments, like when I've been having really hard times in my life or when I've been at a crossroads or like part of the reason my go-go classes exist is because I had an epiphany at Prince in 2003 
Oh, that and was the birth of the GoGo Academy, was seeing Prince. Yeah, yeah. I had this epiphany. It was like I hadn't done any showbiz for a couple of years and then Prince was doing his greatest hits tour and I went with my friend and we saw him and then he showed up in an after party at The Prince in St Kilda. Whoa. And he didn't do anything. Like there was no dancing or anything. Like he just showed up at the party and DJs were playing records and stuff and we were just blah. But I stood next to him for a minute and at the time I was a very depressed downtrodden public servant and just being in his presence like I went to work the next day and I had like two hours sleep it was a Tuesday night and I had some boring ass public servant meeting the next morning and my boss was being super patronizing like oh that's a little project you might like to handle Anna I was building a database for something and I already built three <laughs> but he was acting in front of everyone like oh that's a little project you might like to get your teeth into Anna and my brain exploded, and inside my mind, I was just like, I was with Prince last night. What the fuck am I doing here? Who the fuck am I? It's like I'd woken up from a dream. Like, my, all my dreams of being a rock star and showbiz and all the things that I love. I'm like, I'm a fucking public servant at this. What the fuck am I doing here? I was at a party with Prince last night. I'm like, what are you, what? My brain broke. And it was that day I was like, all right, I have to change my life. I have to get back to what I love. I've gone, I've strayed too far from the path. And, um, yeah, that was the first epiphany. But it's weird, these encounters have really happened at um, uh, really crossroads moments, you know, when I'm either in a crisis or I'm, I'm at the point where I don't know which way to turn, these strange miracles happen. Yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, I mean, it, it sounds weird, but I can't explain it, but there's, it's been the timing that's been so interesting. No, and I think that my extent of, like, or I guess my uh, understanding of woo-woo goes about as far as that is it's like things happen when they need to and that's pretty much it, you know? Like little things will pop up every once in a while where you're like, oh, that's, like you were saying, it's weird that they pop up at the times when they do and they're very, yeah. Um, yeah, very poignant at those times. And I think that maybe we're tapping into a little bit of that with this show. Who knows? Maybe a little bit. I think so, yeah. I think so because, you know, all these pivotal moments and, you know, especially for artists, like you do have so many crossroads and so many turning points and so many times where you question what you're doing and why you're doing it and, it, and is it worth it? Like how it's so hard, you know, like it's it's hard to be in a band. It's hard to be an entertainer. It's hard to do this stuff and you do it because you love it, but it can be really grueling. And then you get, you, you do come to these points where you're sort of almost questioning your faith. Like, Oh my God, is it worth it? Like I still can't pay the bills. I'm 40, you know, like, but you, yeah, these weird things happen, you know, little magical things happen in life to steer you a certain way. The last time was when Prince was here doing the piano and a microphone tour. It was a month before he passed away. And at the time, I just turned 40 and I just decided I had to break up with my abusive boyfriend and it was a big deal. Like we'd been together forever and he'd been horrible for years and years, but it was just so entrenched. Like, you know, you can't see a way out and I just didn't know what to do. And, you know, and I was also worried I'd end up, me and the cats would end up homeless or whatever, like these, you know. There's things you've got to consider when you're a lady of a certain age. And it was a really hard time and we'd booked, we'd managed to score tickets to the to see Prince do piano and a microphone at the Arts Centre. And um, my friend Kitty, she's an angel on this earth, 
she was I said I just don't know what to do I don't know what to do and she said just wait you'll know when you see Prince yeah and it was like in a month and I was like yeah you're right I won't make any decisions she's like don't make any decisions till we see Prince and I just got to that gig and it was so incredible. We just howled, you know, like the kind of crying where your shoulders are going up and down, like <laughs> like that kind of crying. It was such an incredible show to witness and we bawled our eyes out and then ended up at the after party with Prince and we're dancing. Like he was in this little roped-off VIP area and, and we just danced all night um, and – he came out from behind the ropes and danced with us. Like after a couple of hours, he's like got it out from behind the rope. All the security guards were like, whoa, scrambling like these giant dudes. And he came out and tried to, you know, bust a little dance off. And it was awesome, but he couldn't because everybody swamped him at the party and he had to go back in his little roped bit. But um, <laughs> that night, I mean, people, be cool, people. If Prince wants to come out and dance, give him some room. Yeah, he's a little guy, you know. He might get stepped on. He's Prince. If he wants to dance, you clear the floor for him. Everybody swamped him and he had to go back. But, um, yeah, that was the night. And I was like, all right, that's the next Prince miracle slash epiphany. And, yeah, and then I, I broke up with my ex and then all these amazing things happened and then blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it was just a, another Prince Michael Jackson epiphany moment at a crossroads and, and Kitty was right. She's like, just wait till we see Prince, then you'll know. And I did. And I don't know how, I can't explain it. I don't know why seeing that show or having that experience, it made it clear to me what I had to do, but it just did. I don't know. It was a, a gift, a gift. Oh, a lovely gift from Prince. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird how Prince and Michael Jackson have been, you know, more than my parents, more than anyone else in my life, they've been the ones there in my pivotal moments. If I've had any crisis, any pivotal moments, any joy, any heartache, any trauma, any tragedy, it's been Prince and Michael Jackson who's guided me through. Wow. And my now whole they, life. So, and they, they light the way now with their matching portraits in your room there. And that's why. That's why they're here because, they, you know, if, if it wasn't for either of them, I don't know where I would be right now. Like they both saved me in really critical times in my life. And I can't explain that. I can't explain that. And it sounds weird to people, but, you know, everybody, everybody has relationships with artists or musicians that are just so meaningful. Yeah, for sure. Because not- they're, they're there. Like that's the songs you're listening to in those moments. They're, that's things, you know, your friends might not be there at that time. Your family might not be in that room and that thing happens, but those that music is, yeah. that film is, you know, that art is part of that experience. That's why artists are so important. That's why our government can go get fucked. <laughs> I mean, you mean you referring know. to them cutting all the funding to the arts, you mean? Yeah, which is zero support. Like zero support, like, you know. They always talk about the liberals are like, oh, dude, let's not make this a class war. It is. Like if you want to know the agenda of this government, the two biggest sectors have, have zero risk support in this terrible time have been the arts and universities. Mm. You know, we've got to shut down critical thinking and shut down the arts because they're the two biggest threats. 
to conservatism, really. Yeah. You know, it's very telling. It's very telling to me that those are the two sectors that the government, federal government, has zero interest in, in supporting in any way. Like the way they're always trying to squeeze the ABC. You know, like it, it's um. Yeah, it's very disturbing how much we don't respect the arts in this country and yet how much we rely on it and how much we consume it. Yeah. <clears throat> I think the most interesting thing I heard at the start of this COVID times was uh, you'll never realise how useful art is until we're all stuck inside needing to consume it or something. It was I'm butchering that quote. Yeah. But it, but it was such a great quote to think, yeah, right, we're all stuck inside and all we can do now is consume the arts that have been like defunded and completely undervalued by our government, which is really funny. And decimated. Yeah. It was the same thing. Like when we were playing gigs all around town, um, the same thing happened when the government uh, legalized pokies in Victoria. Mm. So we had gigs, like we could have seven nights a week gigs and every musician could, you know, like I know musicians in the eighties and nineties who could buy a house off gig money, you know, like, that you could make a living, you know. I used to make – I made a living from, you know, three nights a week gigs that paid my way through high school and uni. Wow. Um, uh, you know, uh, that – and then the pokies got legalised and all the pubs went, oh, fuck having bands. That's a hassle and we don't make much and the margins are small. We'll just turn every single pub into a pokies venue. And wow. – all of a sudden there was nowhere to play. You know, like every, you know, you see it now, like every pub's got a pokies in it. Those pokies used to be the band room. Yeah, right. That's crazy to think about that, you know, there was a time before pokies, like it's almost like become yeah. just, it's it's everywhere. It's so ubiquitous and it's like you can't avoid it. But it's weird to think that you were there when it was like getting dropped in being like, wait, is there going to be ramifications for this, you know? Yeah, and, and that's now. the thing, like, and we witnessed it happening, like, oh, well, you can't play at that pub anymore, that's a pokies now, and you can't play at this pub anymore, that's a pokies now. And, you know, within a couple of years, every pub, bistro, band room was a pokies. We did a gig, we used to do gigs at the Tankerville Arms on the corner of um, Johnson Street and Nicholson Street in Fitzroy. Yeah. And um, the first gig we ever did there, we were in high school, and we had, like, a soul band. So we were, like, doing 60s soul and funk covers and, you know, it was good stuff. We had a little horn section and three singers, the three of us, two backups and a lead singer, and we had an epic guitarist and, you know, we were a good band, we were, you know, for kids of our age for 17-year-olds, and we had a gig there and it, when it was first a bikey pub and, the, like, there were all these bikies there, like, chucking beer cans at us, <laughs> like, just go, get off, like, because they wanted us to play, I don't know, God knows what they were requesting. I think they were requesting, like, status quo and deep purple and stuff and we were doing, like, you know, funky soul covers and, um, yeah, that not long after that, that band, that pub, yeah, they turned their band room and that's been a pokies ever since. It's been a pokies now since the 90s. Like there's so few – and that's the thing where policy and government decisions and blah, blah, can change everything. Like there aren't a lot of musicians now who can make a living because there aren't enough venues. There aren't enough – the audience is there. People love music. People have always loved live music, especially in Melbourne. Yeah. And in places like Geelong and Bendigo and Ballarat and, you know – there are live music scenes 
everywhere good to go, but there just aren't a lot of gigs anymore. And it's that's just a one example of where policy can change, whether you know whether musicians can make a living or not. So then there you go. That's like a, a nice call out from Anna Gogo to get a bit political. You know, if you're a musician, you think it doesn't involve you. There you go. There's proof that it totally does. Yeah. And, you know, I've always been a, a punk at heart. I don't look like one, <laughs> but I am, you know, and my, my ethos is always fuck the system. Like if the system doesn't work, fuck the system, find another way, you know. How, how did someone who... The only way says fuck the system end up as a public servant for as long as you did how did you end up working for the man anna well i was working for the man it was good money i started there as a temp and then i accidentally just ended up staying you know those jobs where you don't mean to do that for a job i just did it for temping because i think of it something had happened band had broken up or something had happened and um like, oh, I'll just do some temping here and then it just went on and on and then I got promoted and then I got promoted again and then you get addicted to the corporate money and the blah, blah, and you're like, oh, it's not that hard of work, you know. Until you it's, see Prince and then you have a midlife crisis. Yeah, until you go, what the hell the fuck did I end up here? You know, and I'm an idealistic person and I am a fuck the system person and the reason I was such a depressed public servant is I realised that no matter how good – all of our intentions were, no matter how good, everything like bureaucracy is slow and pointless and you can have the greatest idea ever, but after three years of it going round and round inside the government system, it just gets diluted down to nothing and nothing changes and you can't affect real change. It sounds like the NBN. In in a system like that. Yeah, you, you can't affect real change in a system like that. It's too big. It's too slow. It's too, so you've got to make it from the outside, you know, and that's, like I really feel for all the musicians and artists at the moment who just have no way to do what they do because it's so fucking important. And, you know, even the most unwoke bogan loves a live gig, you know. Correct. Even, you know, everybody needs music and dancing and entertainment and comedy and art everybody everybody watches tv everybody listens to music everybody listens to podcasts everybody loves comedians like that's it's it seems to me like such a no-brainer that you that people would want it the government would want to support that because that's what's good for people's hearts and minds and souls it always has been always will be so it's um yeah, I don't I have no idea what the answer is, but you know, for everyone who is in the arts, I would say it's grueling. I've been doing gigs since I was in 16, I'm 44 now. It's fucking hard, but you've got to keep going. You got to find a way. You know, if you can't go around it, go under it. Can't go under it, go over it. If you can't go over it, blow it up, fuck it. <laughs> like <laughs> Oh. That's what artists are for. That's what artists are for is to question the shit and to find ways and to, you know, it's horrible that creative people have to be even more creative now. But it's true. That's what artists do. The artists are the front line of questioning everything, yeah. of reflecting everything back at us, you know. Totally, Who yeah. We are, what we care about, what's important. That's, that's what artists are for. It's you have gonna, to keep going. Yeah, it's going to be a very weird thing for, like, how how everyone's going to navigate this time and how soon it goes back to quasi-normal, you know? Like, 
what what the, what are the future of gigs going to be like in this new COVID world? Who knows? I don't think it's going to be the same like it used to be. Sadly. Yeah, I don't think so. Like it seems it's so surreal having done what I've been doing for the last fifteen years, just the dancing. Before that, burlesque bands, whatever else. But just the last, it's so surreal that after nearly fifteen years of dancing with thousands of people at festivals and classes and whatever else, that that just doesn't exist now. You know, and and weirdly, after such a short time, I can't picture how it will exist. Yes, and I was just saying that to Mel the other day that I like I remember gigs, but it's like you almost forget. It's it's funny how quickly you slip into forgetting how simple it was to be able to just like go to things and see people and talk to people and have a beer. It's like oh yeah, I kind of remember that now. Like it feels like a weird dream now. Like all of those gigs I went yeah. to almost like never happened. Yeah, and that's the thing you've been doing your whole life. And then in a space of a few short months, you can't even imagine it anymore, how it would work. Like, it's so surreal. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. I suppose only time will tell. It will become clear to us when it becomes clear. Like, maybe, you know, really, like, it's, uh, yeah, because I can't imagine it. I look at photos of, you know, festivals or whatever, and I'm like, 5,000 people dancing that close together? Like, <laughs> think about the Imagine all the droplets we're spraying everywhere. Like, it's so it's so strange. But you know, the artists are their forefront. Like, we're the canaries down the mine. People, they they everyone will find a way. But we just we can't see it now because it's too surreal to even imagine. But we will. Their people will find a way. There'll be ways. Oh, what yeah. they are, who knows? But yeah, it is. I don't know. It's so strange. Like, imagine going to a music festival now. Being in a mosh pit. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly right. It's something that I. It's like, will that ever be able to happen again? Are people going to be wearing like face masks in a, in a in the pit? Like, what's I don't know. It's, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> are they just going to have to rent like massive? Like, are we going to have to go to the Nullarbor Desert so everyone can be far enough apart that it's not a problem? Oh yeah, that's an idea for sure. Just let's just try and find really big open spaces, and like you know, yeah, you can just you know mark the floor. Yeah, or like I like that idea of the drive-in gigs. I think that's really brilliant idea. Yeah. You know, for musicians, You've seen those. Yeah. 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 So I think I think that's that's a genius workaround for this time. Yeah, I think but yeah, that that could be that could be the future. You know, take some old drive-ins, have some people play, be in your car, keep your droplets to yourself. It sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I saw a great meme the other day. It was like, remember that time when people used to blow out their birthday, blow, blow on their birthday cake, blowing out their candles, and we all used to eat it. <laughs> like, it said something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But I was like, oh my god, yeah, yeah, shit. Think about all the droplets that would end up on a cake. Yeah, imagine if someone blew on their birthday cake. Now, like, I'm not eating that. Oh, and who would have thought that would be the end of birthday cake blowing out candles? It was a pandemic that was going to take it to knock that out. Yeah, it's pretty weird. <laughs> Wild times. Now, do you want to jump into the lightning round uh, final final thing and we'll we'll wrap this puppy up? Let's do it. Okay. We've, we've had to shorten it a little bit because the, the, the questions keep growing and it's too long and it gets way too long. So it's a shorter if you're prepared for some of the I questions. Give short, I, I swear to God, I'll give you short answers, I promise. No, it's more for me because otherwise I'll just be asking questions forever and they'll just keep going. Um, all right, but we're, it's, it's cold now to a – I think Mal and I – it'll change every week, but for now we'll go. Analog or digital? 
analog. All right. What time did you wake up today? 8.30. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah. Uh, we, got, we got up at like, we got up way later than, was that like nine this morning? Yeah. It's like, who gives a shit? We got nowhere to be, you know? Yeah, what's the hurry? Where are you going? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Roll over, go back to sleep, I think. Um, yeah, what is time? Yeah, exactly. What was the last thing you read, Anna? Oh, I'm reading, I've just started reading um, Christos Chalkis's novel Damascus. Wow, tell us is, about that. Yeah, it's a retelling of Saul, St. Paul, I think. I don't know, I've just started it. But the last thing I read was the last few pages that I've read of that. Beautiful. Um, what's your first memory? Oh, this one's real early. Um, lying in my bassinet, looking up at a flocked wallpaper wall, you know that velvet wallpaper, red and gold, mm. with all of these like gold frame pictures all over it, which um, I'm told was at a family friend's house. Uh, some friends of my dad's Italian, so there were some Italian mates of his, lived in Carlton and they had this, like, super Rococo wallpaper with gold frames all over it. And, um, yeah, looking at that from my bassinet, but they left Australia when I was about just under two years old and I wow. never saw that house after. So that's my first memory. And that says so much about you, Anna, doesn't it? It's like the Rococo-ness, the gold frames, like it was there from a very young age, I assume. Clearly that imprinted very strongly in my psyche. <laughs> yeah, careful, careful what your children look at, everyone, because, yeah, man, that's had a big influence, obviously. Yeah, one look at some red and gold walls and gold frames and then all of a sudden you're, you're you now, years later. Now look at what happened, yeah. <laughs> um, are you uh, oh, tea or coffee? Oh, coffee. What's the point of tea? It's like hot water you can drink, you know, get hydrated, a little bit of peppermint tinge. I'm, I'm a tea guy than a coffee guy, so I can stand up for tea. Anyone listening? I'm coffee all day, but I don't mind a herbal tea if it's for like health purposes. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I'm on the, I'm coffee all the way. <laughs> Last thing you cooked. Oh, what did I cook yesterday? Well, I didn't cook anything today. I've just been eating crap from the cupboards. What did I cook yesterday? I can't remember. I don't know. I literally don't know. What it might you, have been a what did, you, what did you snack on today when you didn't cook food? I'll ask that. It could be an alternate question. I had some toast with Vegemite and then I had some chip and dip and then I had a banana and I don't know. Yeah, I have to go shopping. There's not many groceries in the house. <laughs> You're relying on chip and food. dip. Yeah, it's cupboard food until I get to the supermarket. That's awesome. Uh, if you were reborn, who or what would you like to be? Oh, good one. I don't know. I'd like to come back as Beyonce. <laughs> but, but she's already taken. She's already taken. Like I don't if, know. So if someone gave you the option to like take over Beyonce's brain at this point in the game, would you still do it? If someone gave you that choice, be like, hey, you'll just be your oh. brain in Beyonce's body. I couldn't evict her, no. <laughs> no. 
Um, what if she's know. needed somewhere else? What if they need to put her brain in space or something and then they're just going to be the shell, so they've got to put someone in it? May as well be you, right? Oh, yeah. Well, in that case, yeah, sure. I mean, if I had to come back as a something and come back as a, some sort of pampered house cat, that would be a good life. Mm. Um, if you come back as a person, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good one. Um, what inspires you? Oh, lots of stuff. A lot of stuff. Music videos, always. Amazing people, always. Things, beauty, art, things. I don't know, yeah. Flowers. It could be anything. could be anything. Poetry. I find poetry very inspiring, actually. Something about the distilled beauty of a poem that, I don't know. Yeah, I find that inspiring. That makes me want to be a better person. Are there any poets that you like that people could do a bit of research on after this podcast? Oh, I studied the classics at uni and I've always been big into the romantic sort of literature. So my two favourites would be Keats and Shelley. Cool. All right, there you go. Listeners who may be interested in poetry, get in some Keats and Shelley. Is that what you said? Keats, Shelley? Keats and Shelley, yeah, they're my two favourites. Keats especially. Beautiful. Uh, I'm sure that can be a bit of a jumping off point for someone who's listening. Um, I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sure someone listening is going to go up and look at some poetry after this, I'm sure. Uh, What was was the last record you played? Oh, the last record I played was, let me think, does it have to be the whole album, not just a crappy playlist? Uh, It can be whatever you want. All right. Well, the last record I played. (laughs) Good. Good. The last record I played was yesterday. I did play Michael Jackson's Dangerous album in its entirety because I needed it for my heart. (laughs) um, The last YouTube album I listened to was this Italian artist I love called Ermal Meta. Nobody who listens to this show will like him. No one. (laughs) Why is that right? Don't even bother, but I love him and sometimes I find him healing. So, yeah, that was some – he's an Italian artist. I don't know. I don't understand half of what he's saying, but I love it. Wonderful. We're going to slip that into the YouTube playlist as well so people can check that out and prove it. Yeah, no, I'm going to do it. It's going to be fun. Um, Everyone's going to hate it. Everyone who listens to you is going to hate it. We're like, seriously. (laughs) They're all going to go, oh, my God, I've lost all respect for that woman. (laughs) I think that would have happened after you turned down Chris Isaac uh, sexually. I think that's the point where people are going to walk away and be like, she didn't go for Chris, 90s Chris Isaac? Like, that's crazy talk. Oh, my God, I know. And I tell you what, if there's anything that anyone listening can learn from a lady like me, the things I regret the most are the things I didn't do. <laughs> do all the things. Because you won't regret the dumb stuff you did or that you fucked up or whatever. You'll regret the things you didn't do. Or people, as the case may be. (laughs) This leads into who do you love? I'm assuming that's Chris Isaac forever now. Yeah. I love everyone. I love my cats. I love everyone. I love Prince. I love my cats. I love my friends. I love everybody. (laughs) I have a lot of love. Yeah, a lot of love to give. It's wonderful. Yeah, I love everyone. Uh, What do you value the most? Oh, good times. Mm, good dancing, answer. laughing. Yeah, good times. And dancing and laughing and my cats, you know, like the quality times. Hmm. Uh, are you more of a Batman or a Robin? 
Oh, Batman. Why are you a Batman? No one wants to be the sidekick. Batman's a badass. He gets stuff done. Everybody needs a sidekick, but no one wants to be that, do they? Oh, we've had a couple of Robins on the show before. Hmm. I can get down with a Robin as well because he's not serious. Batman's serious. I'm not a serious guy, so I can get down with Yeah, Batman's, that's true. Batman takes himself pretty seriously. Yeah. He doesn't have much of a sense of humour, but in terms of getting shit done, I'd be Batman, and his outfit's better, and he gets to drive the car. <laughs> These are all great reasons to be a Batman, and I, I can't fight you on them at all. Um, what movie could you watch every day and not get sick of? Oh, my God. Um, Coming to America. (laughs) Awesome. I just watched it yesterday again. I can't get enough of it. I could watch it every day and I'll laugh every time. (laughs) I I just, yeah, I can't get enough of it. Also, Goodfellas. That's another one. We recently just watched day. that, yeah, because of uh, we just finished The Sopranos as well and we went back and watched Goodfellas oh. and all the Sopranos people that are all in it. Oh, how good is that? Oh, how I'm good not... is The Sopranos and how good is the Goodfellas? Like Goodfellas is one of the great – the soundtrack, my God, the colours, the outfits, the directing, the actors, Ray Liotta, good God. Like it just, yeah, Goodfellas and Coming to America. If that's the only two movies left in the world, I'd be fine. Cool. They're great answers. Um, speaking of movies, uh, Patreon questions. Uh, what was the first MA movie you ever saw? Do you remember the moment? I don't remember. Ooh, oh, no, I do remember because I was very little and um, at someone's house and it was Saturday Night Fever. Oh. Now, I don't know if anyone knows this who's a young person. That film is dark and gritty and real. Like it's not like Grease or Rocky Horror or whatever. It's that was really intense. Like there's a rape in it and there's all this intense stuff and it's pretty full on. And I remember seeing it when I was way too young. Also The Exorcist. Ooh, my brother yeah. showed me the my brother showed me The Exorcist when I was way too young and it gave me nightmares for years. That's the that's what older brothers are for, of course. But yeah, The, the Exorcist. I was way too young to watch that. It still haunts me. Speaking of horror movies, uh, another Patreon question. If you had to live in a horror movie, which horror movie would you choose? Oh, God, I couldn't. I couldn't handle it. I can't stand horror movies. I'm terrified of them. I can't watch anything scary. God. Oh, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. Rick Moranis is there. You know, there's some plants. Little Shop of Horrors or Rocky Horror. Either one of those I could live in. Yeah, for sure. I think you'd fit quite well in, in a Rocky Horror situation, for sure. Yeah, they've both got singing and dancing. I could handle that. Mm. <laughs> um, if you could go back in a time machine and see any gig, what gig would it be? Ooh! <laughs> well, that's a good question. Oh, I would, I would go back and see Elvis in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? I, I, yeah, well, I mean, uh, no one could imagine, really. You have to just be there, right? Like, oh, my God. When you're talking yeah, about like the I've seen, and glamour. Yeah, I've seen Michael Jackson. I've seen Prince. I've seen Beyonce. I've seen George Clinton. I've seen incredible artists. I, but I would imagine seeing Elvis live. Imagine. Yeah, oh, that's, that's a really good one. I love that. Thank you. Um just thinking about, I've never really thought about Elvis like that before, but it's like, yeah, fuck, I would want to go see Elvis live. That'd be unreal. Imagine him live. Like, people used to lose their shit. Like, you would, 
you know, no one had ever seen anyone like him ever before in history. The charisma would knock you out. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I, 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 <laughs> it's making me think a lot more about Elvis than I hadn't thought in a little while. Friend of the show, Andrew Cowell, if you're listening, buddy, hey, how are you? I sent him a link just recently because like, they've announced this new Elvis toy and I saw it on Instagram and he jokingly said that he wanted to mount it to the front of his car. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's a real love of Elvis there. Love your work, Andrew. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> that's brilliant. He should totally do that. <laughs> I hope he does. I'll get him to send pictures if it happens. Um, uh, favorite shapes flavor. Aren't shapes? Where do you stand on favorite shape? Obviously barbecue. Very good. But I will say this. I... I bought some barbecue shapes recently because I hadn't eaten them for about 10 years. So I was like, they, I used to like them. Only one in 25 is good. There's so no... you're eating like 25 of them just to get one that has that red stuff on it. Mm, the red stuff has really gone in recent years. you got to like. Yeah. And you've got to really dig around. And then you eat 25 and you're like, these aren't very good. And then you get one with all the red stuff on it. You're like, that's the ticket. That's the, that's the one I wanted. And then you keep 25 more and there's no more red stuff. This is modern 2020 problems, you know, COVID and not enough red stuff in a shapes box. I don't know why they changed the recipe. Oh, they they wanted to get everyone all panicked and wanting them to buy. It was the new Coke all over again, you know. They they took it away and they thought it was going to be gone and then, you know, they brought them back and everyone got excited again. And that that was the plan all along, right? I think so, yeah. Cheeky bastards. Um, and favourite last words. Do you have any quotes that you like or any uh, song lyrics that, that resonate, maybe end up on a tombstone kind of vibe? You got that off? Say that again. Quotes or what? Oh, famous last words. What kind of quotes do you like? Is there something you put on your tombstone or maybe like a, I don't know, like something that you want to be remembered, something you tattoo on yourself in a higher upper tramp stamp? God. <laughs> A really high one for when jean jean fashion gets high again. Yeah. I don't know. I have a lot of them. I have a lot of them. And I can't think of any of them right now. (laughs) The one I'm saying the most at the moment is, G'day, (laughs) shut-ins. But there are, I don't know. That's good because I use quotes all the time and there are a lot of them I live by and I can't think of any of them right now. Well, get a shot in. I can't. I'm do. sorry. <laughs> I'll just say, let's just say for COVID times, my favourite quote is, get a shut ins. <laughs> we can hit you back for a, a famous last words next time you come on the show when hopefully we're in better circumstances uh, lockdown was. That would be awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for your sorry time. Sorry to fall at the last hurdle. Sorry? <laughs> sorry to fall at the last hurdle. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, it's a tricky one. It's one that I, I've put at the end, but it's like you, got, you can be a little bit prepared. Sometimes it gets uh, really good answers out of people. Sometimes they just, oh. you know, what, what do you got? You got I, do something? Have one, I do have one that's words to live by, and this is from my darling friend Peter, and it's when people show you who they are, believe them. Oh, hey, that's great. Yeah. That's go. amazing words to live by. That has stood me in good stead. Yeah. Very good. When people show you who they are, believe them. Mm. Yeah. Very and much. also get age chains. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time tonight, Anna. Thank you for putting up with the internet connectivity issues and uh, and still giving a fantastic performance like any of your online rants or dance classes or anything you've done. 100%. Well, 
Thank you so much, Rory, and thanks, Mel. And yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I've had so much fun. Hello, welcome to the Post Ramble. Uh, what a special episode that was, Anakogo. Wow, what a wonderful woman. Um, what an empress. <laughs> Amazing. I was a little bit nervous before talking to her and during. I don't know if you were. You weren't. Um, I get nervous now about the cards. That's the thing that makes me the most nervous is because now it's out of the guest's hands to pick it. Like It's not like, well, you pulled it out of the deck, man. It's your fault. Now it's like picking off a picture and I still mm. feel weird about it. I'm really always nervous to flip it over to see what I get. And the Empress was just like so amazing. Like, people are going to think we made that shit up and it's like, mm. no way. I can show pictures. If you, Listeners, if any of you want to refute my tarot ways the magics of this show i'll send you this like the conversation which was here's all the cards pick one picked it oh my god amazing oh my god perfect amazing (laughs) um (laughs) we've had anna's voice in our minds a lot this week ruminating on it because i guess we're recording this it's uh it's the monday after the monday we recorded it so it's a little bit um yeah it's been a week it's been a week yeah week to think about anna kogo mm-hmm yeah, and I was nervous because it was like talking to a celebrity like after, you know, seeing her on my TV, even though I have met her in real life. That was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She's amazing. Did, was was she everything you expected to be in the podcast? Yeah, and more. Like, I, you know, obviously I didn't know her, you know, her whole backstory and everything. I had no idea about all of that. So just hearing about, you know, what she's been through, like having such a traumatic childhood and, you know, difficult times as an adult as well. And the fact that she, you know, still goes on to, you know, spread so much joy to people. Um, yeah, it's pretty inspiring. And <sighs> the fact that she took such a gamble as well, leaving that government job and just being like fuck it I'm going to teach people how to dance and just going to give it a go and it was so it's so successful it's crazy oh it's lovely it's so lovely to to hear those stories and see it happen in real life because I think it's something that you know we might like to mythologize in our own minds like oh if I I can't do this thing or I can't leave or I can't start that side hustle or whatever it's like no you can and here's a wonderful success story of exactly how you just do it yeah it just works out you know well I mean maybe it's Anna's luck or it's her skills or it's I don't know maybe it's a mix of all kinds of maybe it's like bands you know what I mean like yeah Yeah, I don't know it's just her being herself and doing what's true to her heart that's it Mm. good lesson learned there Mm. listeners um so we're going to do a special little uh, link to Anna's Patreon in the show notes so you can jump across there and if you want to maybe check out the dance classes or you can sign up just for the rants as well. <laughs> so if, you just, if, you, if you're like me and you want to just enjoy Anna ranting every Friday night, man, you can go for that or you can go for the dance classing as well, which Mel, you're a big fan of the dance classes, right? Yeah, they're great and I made Rory do it and he got about three songs in <laughs> and then lay on the couch and watch me do it for the rest of it. <laughs> that is true. Uh, the only exercise I've gotten lately is going up and down the stairs of our house. So I'm, yeah, a bit out of shape, but that's okay. We'll get back there. A couple of dance classes. Uh, I think I'll be right as rain. Um, so, yeah, if you want to go check that out, definitely go check out the show notes. Um, there's links to uh, a playlist that Anna has curated as well. So there's some good party tunes in there as well. If you want to maybe, I don't know, have a drink on a Wednesday night to Monday night maybe tonight I don't know whatever night you're listening to this maybe just have a wine and pop on this place because there's going to be some really great party tunes in there for you to enjoy mm. um, you can also check out the uh, Patreon my own Patreon man Patreon's everywhere everyone the whole world's going to be just supported by Patreon at some point 
But um, there's been so many new influx of patrons, and I don't know who I've talked about on the show or who I haven't. So we're just going to do a big thank you roundup to all of the people in the last couple of, uh, like, last two weeks, I think, mm. that have signed up. It's been amazing. So thank you so much for the support. All of you, you're all amazing. I love you so much. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about Mika yet, but Mika hasn't thought of the lightning round question yet, so he's going to get back to me on that. So I don't know if that, I personally thanked him yet for that. Uh, very excited. Uh, Tom Brislane uh, asking for the shapes flavor. That's really good. Uh, so far, oh, there's an episode that we have in the bank that hasn't come out yet. It has a controversial choice on the, on the shapes. So I think it's going to really throw the balance off pizza versus barbecue. <laughs> very exciting times. Dwayne Jackson, who signed up uh, right after he did the show. That's amazing. Um, I, what was his lightning round question going to be? Something about Van Damme, I think. Oh. Something about Van Damme movies. We'll have to get back to you on that, Dwayne. Uh, what's, your, to... what's your favourite Van Damme movie? Street Fighter. Oh. Is that, are you asking? No. I, was, <laughs> I think that was what his question was going to be. I think it was. <laughs> and if, if you're wondering, guys, it's definitely Street Fighter. The movie's fucking awesome. Kylie Minogue. Oh, my God. Raul Julia from Adam's Family. Um, Joel Hamlin uh, is another new patron of the show. Uh, I, I mentioned Joel a couple of episodes back, many moons ago, when he uh, approached me at the Bendigo. We were chatting about the podcast at a bar. Remember when you could meet people at a bar and have a beer with them and say, hey, good podcast. That doesn't happen anymore. So instead, we've got Patreon. So thank you so much for that, Joel. He'll be coming on the show soon. Uh, I'm very interested in, in his world. I want to explore it via pod. Um, Tim Anderson. Love you, Tim. Hope you uh, enjoyed the many shout-outs you got on that Dwayne Jackson episode. That was great. Just some Melbourne bass player rivalry. It's good. You know, it's healthy, I think, <laughs> as, long as, it's, as long as it's just a healthy, competitive. <laughs> Rachel Palmer. Thank you so much, Rachel Palmer, for being out in your lovely Blackwood home listening to our podcast. Love you, Rach. Babe Jam. Yeah, Babe Jam. Uh, Jamie. Jamie's a new patron, new listener of the show, and he's a friend of mine that I met through Age of Empires. So that's amazing. Thank you, Jamie. You're amazing. Uh, and Bo Derek as well. Yeah, who could forget Bo Derek? He hit me up the other day, not realizing that I'd already started the Patreon and instantly jumped on. So thank you so much for doing that, man. That really means a lot. So there you go. All of you new patrons, you're all lovely. I love you so much. Thank you for supporting the show and really making me do this podcast and edit this post ramble and put it online it makes it feel like well hey I'm people want it they're paying me money for it whether it's charity or not so I'm going to put it out and I think that's the only motivation I need uh, and it, it feels really good to yeah, have that kick up the ass to do this so it's great so uh, you can also join as a patron as well the link is in the show notes and there's a new episode coming very soon woohoo yay